everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. It is just a unassuming Tuesday. Nothing to see here. Humanity's not hanging in the balance. I kind of made a last minute decision to put up a stream of consciousness, what I call a snorkel, uh, through several different topics as crowdsourced by you guys in an effort to uh, do my part as an escapist medium, realizing that there's a lot of uncertainty period in life right now, but the anxiety surrounding, um, you know, the election, at least for myself, don't want to project it onto you, is a bit intense. And there's a, it's a, it's a waiting game. And I think today might be a long one for many people. And beyond that, I heard a lot of people complaining about lines. And please, please, please uh, go vote and allow me to keep you company. It's the least I can do. Uh, many states still are allowing registrations. I think, you know, I know life is busy, but if you are healthy and you are well and you haven't voted, uh, there's simply no greater contribution uh, you could be uh, providing for your country for our future. And I thank all of you in advance who who did your part. I know you guys know what to do and I don't need to preach to you, but just a friendly reminder that if you're intimidated by how long it'll take, trust me, I'll be here a while. <laughs> Stay a while. I, I, I'm coming at you from the beyond now uh, just to do a quick intro. So the, the, I go through a bunch of different topics that I'm just in real time scrolling through Instagram last night at like midnight rambling through. I'm sorry if I say like a lot. I'm sorry if I have ums and errs and this is not a perfect episode. I typically am pretty good about combing through them because I find myself so utterly annoying. But this one, I just went and left it. So apologies for any weirdness, for typing, for the dog, for whatever. Uh, but rest assured for any diehard T-Swift or Gilmore Girls fans out there, there are two questions that somewhat overlap both Taylor Swift and Gilmore Girls that I feel like is a great Venn diagram for um, all of us super fans out there. And But those are toward the end of the episodes because those it ta- it's like takes me a long time to basically map out which Gilmore Girls character <laughs> I think represents which Taylor Swift album and era. So just a little teaser. The other thing that's so unbelievably cool is that I am on another podcast today doing something similar in providing distracting content. The podcast uh, is called Terrible Thanks for Asking. It is hosted by someone who I know many of you know, Nora McInerney. She's brilliant. She's such a talented writer and speaker and uh, podcaster. She has several books. She is somebody I really look up to a lot. And as a person who really needs words of affirmation, especially when somebody who professionally writes words gives me words of affirmation, it really turn, can turn things around for me. And she's been a huge like supporter and champion of me in this podcast. And it was an honor to be uh, in her election distraction episode. So please listen to that on Terrible. Thanks for asking. And then this podcast, if you need, whether you need it today on election day, as results populate, as we process the news, I don't know. I just want, I just, you know, use it for whatever, use this episode for whatever you need to. It's too, uh, as I speak, as we listen and sit here together, we're in such the thick of the uncertainty. And um, while this is not an episode about that, I hope you know you're not alone if you are in knots uh, pacing beside yourself, not knowing what to do, uh, acting out in weird ways, a la my American Girl Womp Dance. But I'm glad we're together. Uh, So... Let's see. What have we got here? 
If you need a stronger, uh, more typical episode to listen to from the Be There in Five podcast, I suggest you listen to, like, per my last email, maybe six pence, none the poorer. Uh, Childless Millennial, if you're in the mood for something serious. We have a lot of deep dives about tons of stuff from uh, Britney Spears' conservatorship to Call Her Daddy to TikTok to Bumble to being in a sorority or bridesmaid to Mormon mommy bloggers. I'm just going to go through. Well, okay, I asked a couple things on Instagram, and these were really making me laugh. I love I love the concept of somebody getting some material good, you know, conspicuously consuming uh, and the person being so grateful and wanting to like show it off, not share it, show it off. But the person wanting to show it off to the world and the Internet is still low key humble. So they can't possibly say that they wanted that thing. They desired that thing. They went for that thing by their own accord. My gosh, no. God needs to tug on your heartstrings. God needs to send you a message. He needs the world to know that he told you specifically that there was a sale on the highly coveted open heart collection by Jane Seymour Um, or whatever it is. And it's like, well, if you want to be humble, just don't post about it. And if you're going to post about it, just own it. Like, let's call it what it is. You want to show off. It's craziness to me. But I ask people, what are the most obscure things that you've heard somebody thank God for? Uh, A huge fan of the big guy, not making fun of prayer. Rather, I'm interested in the way that people attribute innocuous earthly activities to something celestial, cosmic, or divine, when really I just, I think, I don't know, I think people maybe overthink some of these things that are the product of their own decision making, but I'm I'm always here for some divine intervention. Who am I to say? I just think it's interesting to hear the spectrum. So, so many people had said, uh, like they know a lot of people that regularly thank God for parking spots, which... Is nice. If I were to BPI the big guy's tasks and he was spending that much time making sure all of his favorites got parking spots, I might ask him to reallocate his time. There's some other good uh, uh, sex. The groom's father prayed over the couple at the end of the night. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Person said her old boyfriend told me. That my, her old boyfriend told her he lost his pen and God put it in the bottom of his backpack to put a smile on his face like they were playing hide and seek. What? <laughs> okay, Imogen Heap. It's like him and God. It's like, mm, what you say? <laughs> that hide and seek. That is so strange. <laughs> I'm crying. Uh... <laughs> And this person thanked God for their idea for a company that was clearly not from God, but from another local company. <laughs> so they just ripped off somebody's business idea and co- used God as a cover. I should start a blog called Gal Meets Graham and thank God for the incredibly original idea, cadence, alliteration, and the like, and see what happens. My sorority chaplain used to call God Daddy during her chapter prayer and stop. I was chaplain. Was I your chaplain? <laughs> IDK, this is the same, but an email signature about buying Theta sorority t-shirts signed in him, capital H. <laughs> Going, I have my old college emails. It's literally only people tracking me down for fines. That a religious signature is an outstanding touch. He, he does probably want me to pay because I missed the 5K and Derby Days and Anger Splash and Fireman's Challenge and mock rock or what like there's so many philanthropies 
in him would suggest that my time was enough. Why do I got to buy a t-shirt, you know? Uh, oh, wow. Somebody thanked him for a hot tub. No, if I had the big guy on speed dial to get me the waterworks I needed for my home, definitely would choose a pool. Oh, this girl said she would too. A lot of medical professionals say that it's really frustrating that parents actively praise God and praise Jesus over their expertise, 12 years of schooling, debt. Uh, and yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I get that faith gets you through a procedure or something, but it is interesting when there's no mention of the, you know, it's it, it, there's no mention of the medical uh, skill sets that went into your miracle happening that, you know, again, a blessing, but positioning yourself as special instead of just, I don't know, kind of being forthcoming about it being a straightforward medical procedure that doctors worked very hard to, to do a, a good job. I don't know, you guys. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> me, okay, so this person knows a person who basically thanked God for meeting a carpet cleaner who was 23, putting himself through school, and having two babies. This person's friend thanked God she met this carpet cleaner who was you know, the ripe age of 23 uh, because he resolved her fears of having kids while an undergrad. <laughs> 21 you guys oh my god a dresser on the facebook marketplace sprinkles <laughs> this is an all staff ice cream party during the prayer <laughs> my aunt told my cousin that if she prayed hard enough she would lose weight okay a that's messed up to comment on your cousin's weight but b if that were true i would be in a convent right now because that's a hell of a lot better than having to watch your weight and exercise my god i'd love to 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 pray for a hot bod i think it's just like how you guys are wording these like we thanked god for a low <laughs> for a low stakes high school cheer competition <laughs> like here's the thing god's not like a person with normal capacity like, i get it like i'm not he can look out for all of us but it's just a little bit funny us but when like the thing that god is doing for you involves the like a loss or a misfortune of another you know what i mean <laughs> this person's parents uh, thank capital H him for her accomplishments, like her husband passing medical school, but like he studied and worked hard for it. And when she lost her job, they thanked, they said it was his way of leading her to new opportunities. She said, no, it was budget cuts. <laughs> a sorority bid. God did not make you a pie five, Rachel. God, <laughs> this person's college boyfriend told her, God told him they need to break up. That's messed up. You can't, you can't, if, if you, if you want to ghost somebody, you can't blame the Holy Ghost. You got to just, you know, I, well, the problem is now this, this, you know, young lady not only has a complex, uh, because she was broken up with, she also has a tense relationship with God who is actively working behind the scenes to run interference on her love life. Like maybe God is a pie fire. <laughs> My brother-in-law literally thanked God for not getting food poisoning from a Costco pot pie. You guys, I need to, uh, I need to go to church. Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog with a chicken pot pie. <laughs> oh my god 
I can't reiterate enough. This episode is going to be so weird and all over the place because of the... It usually comes out on Thursday, putting out on Tuesday just to put it out on election day. And I'm, I'm deeply sorry in advance for any audio weirdness or honestly just general unhinged vibes for me as I am so nervous and I don't know what to do. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. Just hopefully you can laugh at nonsense with me. These, these are the things I usually will cut out. Uh, in post I have to say there were no less than like maybe 50 people that said that they know people who consistently publicly even thank god for parking spaces and I don't I haven't had a car in 10 years so do we think this is why I've lost my religion or I just need to like try this I need to rent a car get a zip car or something but like how does it even do I do it in advance, do I do it in the lot? Or is it like a situation where I'm like, like screaming at the sky with a fist? Like, are you there, God? It's me at Target. <laughs> I've always wanted to start like an are you there, God? It's me, Margaret type of letter to God. But at summer camp, I would just address my letters to JC. Felt less formal. Probably was pretending it was Chazé. <laughs> What else was I thinking? Oh, I was thinking about worship songs in this context that made me laugh. Nobody needs to hear this, but I just like live for that. Um, or I'm trying to think of worship songs. I love a worship song. This isn't a worship song, but I am just keep thinking of Park the Herald Angels Sing. Glory. Park the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to pull through parking. I love a pull through. I love, I used to love that song, East Group, Light the Fire. Light the fire in my, in my weary soul, fan the flame. Make my spirit whole, Lord, you know. Where I've been, so light the fire while I park once again. I think you guys would be shocked to know how much I sing during episodes and take it out. Except for the last episode where I sung Chris Jenner's, um, I love my friends. She loves you. <laughs> um, okay, guys, let's move on. Uh, I want to start uh, with one of our sponsors this week, a company I, I think is so wonderful that I use literally every day. I, in my entire routine is currently Glossier products. I've been converted. They're known for popularizing that glowy, dewy skin look that's impossibly breezy that I love so much. And one of my favorite things that Glossier does is sell things in different sets or duos so you can try more than one product uh, because what's so great about a lot of their products is that they're buildable and kind of mixable in a sense so you can figure out a, a custom shade which I really love doing and uh, their cloud paint duo is Glossier's best-selling gel cream blush in a set where you can pick two of your favorite shades and save. I love these because they're very casual you tap it on with your fingertips as you can imagine from the name cloud paint uh, it, it's pillowy and lightweight and it's sheer and buildable. It kind of gives you this naturally dewy finish that I like to put on my higher cheekbones. I, I actually am not a person that's ever used blush like in my life. I am very, very pink. I have red undertones. I'm like that third TikTok mom that Allie and AJ took too long for you to call back video. Um, but with this, it's different than a cakey thick blush that sets into your like your pores or fine lines. It's very, uh, it's formulated to be seamless. It, it looks incredibly natural. It glides right onto your skin and it just kind of makes you have a, an extra glow that I can't really explain. But I like to mix the coral and the lighter pink on the back of my hand because 
that's kind of the in-between blush shade I am and I just tap it on with my fingers and anyway I, I love this stuff so much it's a really great way to get to try two of their best-selling gel cream blushes and you can get the uh, cloud paint duo by visiting glossier.com slash podcast slash be there in five for a limited time new customers can get 10% off your first order that's certain exclusions do apply but that's glossier.com slash podcast slash be there in five g-l-o-s-s-i-e-r dot com slash podcast slash be there in five for example this uh, i'm going through instagram now this person said uh jeopard like i'm watching jeopardy on netflix how the hell are people so good at jeopardy great example of a topic I don't know if it other, I don't know. I don't actually really know anybody that watches that much Jeopardy, but I love Jeopardy because um, it's an, it's a program that's on every day that is interactive and I DVR it every day and I don't watch it every day, but it's a fun thing to have on in the background. And I like to play and see if my husband knows the answers. Sometimes I know the answers. And when I was amidst a deep life depression, I did indeed devote a considerable amount of time to trying to get on Jeopardy. I will never get on Jeopardy because I'm convinced they only want people that wear twin sets. Um, I, I, I tr Find me a Jeopardy contestant not wearing an unflattering cardigan. Truly, you guys, like, I don't think there's a correlation here between intelligence and fashion sense. Rather, I, I think there's a conspiracy in the wardrobe department encouraging people to, I mean, like, look dowdy as hell. And it's frustrating because I'm like, this is your time to shine. And I just feel like if I was going to be on national TV, I wouldn't raid the Chicos. I'd maybe like upgrade a little bit. And I'm no, I'm no fashion snob. Don't get it twisted. I just think that like there are women can do so much with business casual. And I've just never seen people do so little with it on Jeopardy. I also think that the anecdotes are so bad uh, that like I kind of like the cringe. Like I, I love to just wait for somebody to tell the worst story I've ever heard about how the first time they took their wife on a date, there was some like whoopsie do where he tried to order a cab, like a Cabernet Sauvignon, but she thought he ordered a taxi cab and was trying to leave. So for 30 seconds, their future hung in the balance while they had a mix up of homophones. It's like, what? That's the most interesting thing that's happened in your life. I'm not only am I convinced there's a conspiracy with the clothing. I'm also convinced that well, this is what I can't decide. Are smart people bad at gauging how fun a fact is? And fun facts to really smart people aren't fun facts to fun people? I don't know. Otherwise, to me, there's no planet in, on which your uh, anecdote about your mishap at the petting zoo sh should ever be spoken out loud. <laughs> I literally heard somebody's mishap at the petting zoo recently. I was like, I think I was more disturbed because that person didn't have kids. Like, I don't know. I mean, can you take a few casual laps at the old PZ? Sure. Maybe as a petting zookeeper. I don't freaking know. All I know is I don't know if that's a hobby I would like tout to the masses. I mean, I know I, I did an episode about corporate, like where it did an intro about corporate icebreakers, because I think people really underestimate the importance of having locked and loaded like a few fun facts, a stage two truths and a lie, you know, a locked core for a trust fall. I think that, you know, you want to be a, a, an, an adjective to put in front of your name that starts with the same letter. Kate's tough. My whole life, all I could ever think about was kinky and, you know, not great for most, you know, youth group settings. 
over time, I realized I'd lived, you know, decades without realizing the word kind starts with a K, but also what a lame adjective. And also, why am I stuck with K's? One time I said quirky Kate, just to have people look at me and be like, I know it's not alliterative, but that's the quirk in me. Just because I was so tired of saying like kooky, because I'm not even kooky. Anyway, not important. How are people so good at Jeopardy? Okay, so I can only speak for myself and I'm not good, but I spent a depressive period of my life uh, really doubling down on trying to get to a daily double because I've loved this show my whole life. My dad almost got on it. Um, I am a seeker of information and I have a decent memory and all, but, but beyond that, beyond any, like, I actually, I, I don't think I would actually do very well once I was on the show primarily because when I practice the timing of my buzzer with like a click pen, I seldom, seldom can get in in time. And I know this is my downfall and just something I need to work on before I ever really get back in the game seriously. But uh, this is why I'm worried for Trebek's health because I, w- I just wouldn't even, I wouldn't even step foot on that set without him there. But anyway, um, with Jeopardy, there's a couple ways you can go about it. Some people are just fundamentally smart sponges. Some people are lifelong Jeopardy fans that watch every single day. I probably watched every single day, like in a concentrated manner for about a year of my life. And what I noticed during that time is there are patterns. Uh, there, typically, there's like, there's be, like mega categories, you know, the school subject, your history, your geography, your um uh, authors, uh, and blah, blah, blah. But then like within history, it'll be like 18th century history, 19th century history or geography. It's like, uh, continents or country. You know what I mean? Like there's obviously breakdowns. Um, so you'll notice once you drill down into certain subcategories of categories, this same answer recurs a lot in different ways. And like, for example, if it's about a, of a poet and it suggests she's female, it's almost always like Sylvia Plath or E.E. E. Cummings or Emily Dickinson. And if you can distinguish enough about those three to figure out what era they fall in, it's probably one of those. But beyond that, when I started to notice these patterns, I was like, OK, there's got to be somebody out there that's compiled this. And then sure enough, on Reddit, this was several years ago. I still have it on, on my computer. There's a CSV somebody made with like. 10 plus years of Jeopardy answers. There's hundreds of thousands of rows. It makes my computer nearly shut down every time. And I like to, I like to take a gander through this spreadsheet and make some casual pivot tables. I'll do one real fast to tell you, for example, what are some recurring answers? Like, okay, so um, if I pivot by, if I pivot by the values account of the answer in the rows by answer and then the question, um, okay. So like the top 10 answers of like Jeopardy, I guess, well, as all time as this spreadsheet has, I don't think it has all the years. When does it go back to, I can actually probably tell you. Okay. So this is all, oh, wow. This is allegedly all the Jeopardy questions from 1984 to 2012. Um, and okay. Like the top answers, China came up 216 times. The top like 50 are mostly locations, mostly geography. You can drill down and see all the questions that were asked that yielded that answer. Um, but like George Washington, 128, uh, he was the an answer 128 times. Reagan, 123 times. Lincoln, Je- uh, Jefferson, did I already say Jefferson? Nixon, Cleopatra, um, uh, Hamlet, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt, Julius Caesar, uh, Henry VIII, Andrew Jackson, Elvis Presley, Ben Franklin, JFK, Twain, Galileo, Macbeth, blah, blah, blah. 
So if I were going on Jeopardy, what I would do is I would study this document heavily and I would study uh, 20% of the answers that come up 80% of the time, right? I mean, I don't think 80-20 works perfectly here, but you know what I mean? Like there's a smaller number of answers that are more likely to come up often. And like, let me just find a random example that's relevant to now. So if I pivot, let's look at, um, oh, like, okay, because of the day, not to, you know, I know we're not getting on this topic, but let's look at um, Susan B. Anthony. She came up 33 times in the questions. Well, you know how the question is an answer rather. So it's like the Tony, the Tigress of uh, women's Tony, the Tigress of women's rights, uh, a judge's directed verdict of guilty for her action in Rochester in 1872 was written before her trial began. Arrested for voting in the 1872 election. Died 14 years before the 19th Amendment. Fined $100 for voting in 1873 in Rochester. Her home in Rochester, New York. Her home in Rochester, New York is now a museum filled with memorabilia. Um, you know, okay. So but the, my point is, when you study documents like this, you start to tie, um, like associate certain answers with certain words or certain types of questions. And you'll see not only trends and answers, but tr trends in the questions themselves that would help you e more easily attribute uh, characteristics to a particular answer. So or, or context clues, rather, I, I know a decent amount about Susan B. Anthony, but off the cuff, I might not immediately hear Rochester and think of her, I could easily be thinking of Elizabeth Cady Stanton or Lucy Stone or somebody, but seeing Rochester come up like in several questions now in my brain, I will have a closer connection. That's kind of how somebody would study. Oh, look who else is 30. He's come up 33 times in Jeopardy history. Brigham Young. Are you guys as psyched for Real Housewives of Salt Lake as I am next week? <laughs> the first question was, 19th century humorist Artemis Ward called this Utah dreadfully married, the most married man I ever saw. <laughs> well, my next question was, uh, how many wives did he have? But alas, here we go. This has it all because it says an old forest farmhouse in Salt Lake City is supposedly haunted by Anna Eliza Webb, this man's 19th wife. Yikes. But yeah, all of his questions are about Utah, Salt Lake, Mormons. There's a few about polygamy, many about having several wives, about Provo. So there's like key, like I, it's almost like you can look at the big categories, then subcategories and answers and almost make like mental word clouds of everything associated with him. He served as governor of Utah territory until President Buchanan removed him in 1857. But why did, did he get removed because of the 19th wife ghost? Wait, oh, in 1871, the federal government arrested this Mormon leader for polygamy. Bummer. Uh, on seeing the Valley of Great Salt Lake in 1847, he said, this is the place. Oh, do you think he's responsible for the this must be the place, like pillows and tea towels at home goods? Thank you, Brigham. It's like a little funny that his last name's Young, given that that's like the overarching word I'd use to describe like Mormons in general, just in terms of like their age when they have children. Like there's just the general youthfulness of the faces because body is a temple and you can get Botox. So people just say super young looking. Foreheads like butter all around. What <laughs> when your forehead can shine, but you cannot have wine. That's a Mormon. You guys get it. I think that that what I always want people to understand. People aren't better, they're just more resourceful and they look for stuff. So you could be really overwhelmed by trying to beat Jeopardy, or you could look up this detailed spreadsheet, download it, do a few light pivot tables and get to step in. Best case you'll get on Jeopardy. Worst case, you'll stun somebody at a dinner party with your extensive knowledge of Woodrow Wilson. 
There's one on here I can do quickly. It says a ranking of faux leather liking options. To me, really only two exist. I've used Spanx. I've had the Spanx ones for years and years. I really like them, but the leather finish does come off. Um, it's an unfortunate, the unfortunate reality of the leather legging world is that the perfect waistband and like, uh, stomach suction exists within the Spanx, but the perfect finish is the commando leggings. I've recently got the commando leggings and they look like a leather legging, but they're not real leather. Uh, but they don't have the waistband that like really sucks you in. So too long. Didn't read TLDR. Um, if you want to wear something with a cropped top, I would go with Spanx faux leather leggings. I don't expect much longevity out of them. If you want to wear something that's super leathery with a longer top or tunic or sweater, go with Commando. It's not really a solution to tell you to get both, but I just think they're good for different reasons and people try to make it a, a this or that and I just don't think it's a realistic comparison. Uh, roommate stories. You know, I had one really bad roommate my freshman year. Um... Well, you know, this, it's not just this, but this is a big part of it. Well, I got the, the day I got there, she already took the good side of the room with a more favorable desk position. And like she like snuck in early somehow. So we got off on the wrong foot, period. But even if we had got, got if we got off on the best foot that ever existed, it would have all gone sour immediately because of her betting choice. I'm not, I'm not that shallow, but I do have eyes and I do like for my eyes to see things that don't actively hurt them. And as far as I knew, I moved into a college dorm and not an icing by Claire's store. Uh, but everything she owned was not just zebra print. It was blue zebra print. And the exterior of her like pillows and throws was like a blue feather boa. I was already having time adjusting to college, but I didn't need every day of my life to feel like a bachelorette party in the panhandle. So it's safe to say things didn't start off well. Um, from there, it got only got worse. I actually am a person that prides myself on being able to get along with most people because like Taylor Swift, I am a mirrorball and I can change everything about myself to fit in. I have a terrible tendency to prioritize the comfort of others instead of my own truth. And this is something I've had to face in recent years because it has gotten the best of me, but story for a different day. Um, at this point in time, I was very much a people pleaser. I, and I wanted to get along that would have been easier for my life. Like I can't live in a space or time when people are like mad at me or don't like me. It's just not my vibe. Uh, but anyways, I just, as I start to like talk to her, she's just like really like rude and stuck up and so dismissive to me. And like, just think she is the coolest thing ever. And her boyfriend comes every weekend he looks exactly, and this isn't a commentary on anything other than just like he's a doppelganger of a very popular, popular culture figure in 2005, one K-Fed, and he had all of the matching ribbed white tank tops to match. Uh, I just, I, you know, I heard some things. They, they would, he'd sleep over in her, in her, you know, twin bed. He was still in high school. It was just weird. Um, but beyond that, she went to bed like really early. And this is where I'm not perfect. Um, I do stay up very late and it, I should have known it would be impossible for me to share a singular room with somebody else. Like, uh, but that said, I shared a room with my friend Emily, my junior year, who I love. And I had a great time with her but because I like her as a person. Uh, and we would like talk into the depths of the night. And, you know, some people you could talk to forever, but some people talking to them is like a chore. I think that's like a big thing, a big distinguisher for me. Like I can't live with somebody who I have mixed changing pleasantries with. Like we have to be really close or I need to be alone. Um, but anyway, yeah, this person hated me and I hated her interior design and her boyfriend. And beyond that, um, she 
what I end up realizing is like, she's from a really, really small town, like middle of freaking nowhere, small town, like from a mountain holler. And I'm not like, I'm not, like, I, you know, I took Appalachian studies. I understand a few things about the uh, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky area. And she is from a very small town and her graduating class was 18 people. So when she was like going around telling me about how she was homecoming and prom queen or whatever, I was like, oh, wow, damn. Like, I guess, you know, it's, it's tough for a big fish to come to a big pond uh, and because she was, you know, obviously a big deal in her town. But then I came to find out she had 18 people in her graduating class. And I was like, okay, if I had 18 people in my graduating class, there's a one out of nine, one out of 10, depending chance that I would too be homecoming in prom queen. The odds are ever in your favor. I graduated with like over 500 people where I'm from. It was, it was the hunger games. The odds were ever not in your favor. And it was literally the hunger games. Cause I don't know. In my heyday, people really celebrated being skinny too much. And it's upsetting to me looking back on it. But this was when like, I mean, I think back on, you know, the mid aughts, like 2004 to 2007. And I just, all, all the tabloids talked about was like Nicole Richie's weight loss post simple life, Tara Reid being emaciated, Lindsay Lohan's weight loss, Hillary Duff. It's like, did she lose weight or did she just get veneers way too big for her face? And the answer was both. And we should never be commenting on women's bodies on the cover of magazines, cough, daily mail, digital magazines either. Um, but I just feel like this, the weight discussion was normalized in the mid aughts in a way that I'm just totally uncomfortable with now. Um, but that, all that to say, you know, I don't mean to sound like a, a little rude here, but I just feel like if I was competing against nine other women, it, it was, it was a little different. And I don't know if I would have, uh, you know, carried myself around on a high horse like she did on a high blue striped zebra like my roommate did she thought she was the shit and she was so mean to me and it got to a point where I blocked her on AM even though I slept in the same room as her and she would write away messages about me that my friend across the hall would tell me about but again I didn't really do anything but I had friends and I had fun I think she was mad about that and she was with her boyfriend every weekend and once I realized we weren't vibing, I just put in no effort. And, you know, did I click clack a little too much uh, at night doing my homework at 3 a.m.? Yes, I, I'm not proud of that. Did she loft her bed as a result of me click clacking too close to her face? Yes. But honestly, the best revenge is lurking well. I needed to do what I needed to do late at night on Facebook. My God, this was the first year of Facebook. I is when I was just starting to really learn and come into my own as the true she's a college term that I have not heard in like 10 years creeper that I am. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ooh, Hawaiian pizzas, guys. I don't mean to be controversial. I don't think ham belongs on pizza. I just don't. I'm okay. I'm cool with pineapple on a burger. If you ever been to Red Robin, they have a fierce pineapple on a burger. I like grilled pineapple. I like a mix of sweet and savory. I'm not a monster, but I really don't think ham and pineapple belongs on pizza. And you can be mad all you want, but um, Gordon Ramsay, who I trust with my scrambled eggs and therefore my life, uh, he agrees. So I'll let him answer this one for once and for all. How many pepperonis? Yeah, put fucking pineapple on pizza. <laughs> So 10 pepperoni, yeah, 10 margarita, yep. and no That's pineapple good. anywhere. Uh, no, definitely no pineapple on the pizza. Thank you. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I mean, here's Gordon Ramsay really came around in the in peak weakest link, Simon, weakest link, Simon Cowell, you know, Tyra male, like it's only entertaining if you're a monster. But I feel like Gordon Ramsay, at least as far as I know, hasn't been canceled yet. And he's very good with children. And even though he's uh, really reactive and over the top, 
Um, I think he has redeeming qualities and I really like watching him judge food TikToks. It's so effing funny. And oh my God, his episode of um, my favorite web series, Hot Ones, where uh, Sean Evans, a brilliant interviewer, um, has celebrities answer questions while they eat hot wings. It humanizes them in this incredible way because it's kind of like stripping people's behavior down to their physiological reactions almost because like spiciness, you, you can't fake it. You just have like a physical reaction to it. And it, I don't know. I just think it's a brilliant, brilliant show idea. And I w- wish I could do something like that. This person said uh, they were curious to discuss the Buffalo plaid craze. You know, what's funny about um, when, when the basics take on something fairly utilitarian is that uh, we make something cliche that was never meant to be stylish. It was meant to be functional, but now every, you know, uh, Buffalo herder, cowboy and Canadian farmer is out here looking like they shop at Brooks brothers when they're just trying to do their job. I think that, I mean, the origin is the, you know, mid to late 19th century Buffalo herding uh, when Americans, you know, just like the simpletons that we are, saw things like, you know, Scottish tartan and thought, oh, God, one too many lines. Let's just cross over two colors together and call it plaid. And better yet, let's make a huge ass one, call it buffalo, tiny one, call it gingham. One's at the Bath and Body Works, one's at the Orvis. We're good to go. I think Buffalo, I mean, I, if I had to categorize my like interest in men, I would say that I fall into what my interest lies in what some people colloquially call a uh, lumber sexual. But the problem is I don't like to go outside, but I like the, like a more grisly vibe. I like a beard. I like a kind of like super manly, quiet person that likes to be one with nature as long as I never have to go in nature. I just, you know, it's like hard to be drawn to people you don't have a lot in common with because it's like the 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 most attracted looks wise, least attracted personality wise to things relating to the outdoors. It's it's tricky. I, I've I've found several people uh, thought it was off putting when I've tried to make conversation about the great outdoors and commented on how badly I feel for the fish when I'm fishing and how like I let the crabs out of my dad's crab box. I feel bad for them and I want them to live their life to the fullest. And they're like, well, maybe, you know, you shouldn't come fishing with me. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. And then, you know, things end. That is a real conversation I did have with somebody in college. Um, (laughs) I also, one time there's this outdoorsman that was like starting to get into like wine and like growing grapes. And it was kind of the right type of outdoors, like vineyard outdoors, not vineyard vines, very different things. Um, And he asked me out on a date finally when we were like out one night and I was so excited and he, we had like no friends in common. He was kind of a periphery dude on the outskirts of like, I don't know. He was kind of youth groupy. If I'm honest, he was kind of like young life vibes, but I was at this point in my life. I could have, I, I, I was recently out of like youth group purity culture vibes that I went to in high school, but not out enough where I couldn't have easily pretended. I too was super religious and I know all the songs I know the sign language, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, like, yes, let's go on a date. Um, but he doesn't drink a lot, which is ironic, given I thought he was some sort of vintner. Um, and I <laughs> I went to his. So he asked if I wanted to hang out when we were like out one night and he like, I guess, doesn't drink a lot. And I guess I didn't know he was like drunk or something. Um, and then he said, come by my booth at the, <laughs> at the farmer's market 
tomorrow, uh, which of course he worked at a farmer's market. Uh, and like, yeah, let's go out, let's hang out. Uh, we'll, we'll solidify our plans then. So like I get all ready. I try on 25 different outfits. I'm so stoked. I march up to the farmer's market, so nervous. And I'm like, Hey, uh, just like, so what did you want to do? What were you thinking? He had no clue what I was talking about. He was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Did I ask you to hang out? Like I must've been super drunk, but then here's the thing. It's one thing if you were super drunk and don't remember asking me to hang out. I'm here asking you to hang out. And he didn't want to hang out so badly. He denied ever asking me and didn't even take me out for pity. It's like, listen, brah, I know true love waits, but time waits for no man. I cannot, I can no longer waste my time. I am at a farmer's market. I have a mascara before noon. Like, do you understand the effort I'm putting in here? Whatever. <laughs> We've all had our rejections. It, it can't always be pretty. Uh, but needless to say, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about plaid. I love Buffalo check. I actually, I like to sport, um, men's flannel shirts from Uniqlo. Uh, they are the only atelier that offers me a medium that does not gap in the chest area. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it just depends on your taste, but I think Buffalo check, you know, much like, um, vests and riding boots and, you know, wide brim felt hats and, you know, of the chambray. I mean, I feel like uh, affordable fashion tends to favor um, comebacks of things that are a bit all American or, or Western or uh, utilitarian, if only because uh, the manageable fabrics that are required in order to be able to beat a price point of a uh, a J. Crew, uh, a Gap, a LL Bean, wherever, wherever you get your finest Buffalo checks. If you want to take this to the next level, this is just speculation. But part of me wonders, you know, plaid, and so there's a real dichotomy with plaid because some types of plaid um, really exude status, and I almost feel like, you know, you think about um, uh, tartan in Scotland. Think about Burberry. Um, think about the, the panache that comes with a uh, houndstooth or Glen check, a, a wall street fellow in a, in a window pane button down. So many aspects of plaid are stiff, are, uh, more high society or private school or, or there's so many, um, plaid is kind of this uniform of the upper class that I would argue that my speculation about the Paul Bunyans of the world taking back the narrative of plaid, of making something functional like a flannel, great for logging, into a pattern that is both fashionable and functional, and I support it. I think when Paul Revere was like, the British are coming, Paul Bunyan was like, yeah, take all those extra thin stripes and leave them there. We just want two dimensions to our plaid. <laughs> what? I told you I wasn't going to edit this. Uh, if we're talking, I'm a little more RuPaul than Paul Bunyan, so don't listen to me talk about plaid, but uh, I had to uh, get into a plaid nauseum, if you will. <laughs> Let's move on. Good veneers versus bad veneers rank first to best. I think we can all agree there was a time when the veneer world probably suffered, it really experienced the fragility of, it, of its porcelain nature. Uh, when Hilary Duff stepped out with chompers, that much like her, you know, uh, singing debut with Paolo in the Lizzie McGuire movie at the Coliseum, they were uh, colossal. 
they 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 could cut the sexual tension between her and Gordo, uh, not with a knife, but with her teeth, because they were these huge, sharp chompers that did not fit her face whatsoever. And I did see her in concert at this time in Richmond, Virginia. And like I said earlier, which I can't believe I brought this up twice in one episode, it was hard to tell if her body was too small or her teeth were too big, but I did net out her teeth were too big. To answer your question about best to worst, I think the thing that's tough, like, I think in general, it's they have to be so, so natural if you're a real person. If you're a celebrity and you're on TV, I think that at a certain point in time, you start to look at yourself and and pick apart your appearance. And teeth are an easy thing to just really like improve the cleanliness and cartoonish nature of your face. If you're like a public figure, I get that. Typically, we see on like a second or third season of a reality show, somebody starts to get veneers. Maybe if you go on The Bachelor or Bachelorette, not just one season, though, you have to go to a paradise then to afford veneers. It's kind of a status symbol to me of like, okay, we now know you have at least like 35K in disposable income. I appreciate veneers to an extent because they do help me gauge the progress of an influencer's like socio- socioeconomic status. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, yeah, on the let's just call it what it is, the 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 Busey Richards diagonal. It's hard to say what makes a difference other than just like what matches your face shape and bone structure. And a Gary Busey has like huge obvious chompers that are like such an outstanding feature of his face. It's what gifs are made of. And then we have a Kyle Richards, a real housewife of Beverly Hills, where we just go, huh, she looks she looks a little different. She looks great. What'd she do? She, is, it, is it the French banks? Is it the selling two pilots and having a career out of Maurizio's shadow just in case something happens? Because I'm not totally confident in their relationship, but I want to be so badly. But I could just, I just, I'm so fearful something's going on behind the scenes there. But anyway, let's scroll to the next queue. I think I'm veneered out. Ah, one Adrian Cooper, friend of the pod, said she doesn't think she's ever heard me talk about Harry Potter. Unfortunately, Adrian, I am not a pothead, a potterhead, a potter, uh, uh, I, I, literally every time I say this, I forget what they're called. I am not a Harry Potter fan. Have I give it, given it enough effort? I don't know, but it's not my f- ideal genre. I've only tried to read the books once. I've seen the movie once, and I know it's a huge pop culture blind spot. I don't bring it up a lot because I feel like it's a... Uh, I, I I don't want my pop culture commentators to be staunchly against something that is woven into the fabric of, you know, 2000s pop culture. But unfortunately, I just am not a huge fantasy person. I did make a Hunger Games reference earlier, but that's just because I've, I think I maybe read those books. I saw the movie. I like if we're if there's one uh, literary fandom that I'm a part of, unfortunately, it is the Twilight series, but I blame the sexual tension, the twinkle lights, the moody nature, Robert Pattinson's general attractiveness paired with the garbage CGI job that was the phasing of one from a human to werewolf that just had me sucked in in ways wizardry never did. But I also did just learn Stephanie Meyer is Mormon and that I spent all those years uh, reading Abstinence Erotica which tracks on so many levels. So I don't know what to think anymore, but no, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. This person said, uh, when we transition from pleather to vegan leather, and that's a really interesting point. The only distinction I, well, a couple things. One, I think that pleather, like plastic leather is super associated with like PVC, like shiny, shiny. 
And I think vegan leather is two things. One, it hints at more eco-friendly, like, materials, I guess, being used than plastic. I think that, like, it's, I don't know, probably being marketed to be, you know, less oops, I did it again uh, because of that connotation. But stopping for a brief ad break. After all, I did talk to you about chompers for a few minutes earlier. And this is something I'm trying to do to improve mine. My teeth have slid. They're driving me crazy. My retainer is on the fringe, just like an elementary schooler who tosses it in a napkin in a trash can. I lose it constantly. And I just want straight teeth. I'm not putting it off anymore. So I am excited to talk about Candid. Thanks to Candid, straightening my teeth is simpler, easier, and more comfortable than ever. They uh, make these clear aligners that are comfortable, removable, and practically invisible. And it help you kind of transform your smile without anyone noticing. Your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement, all from the comfort and convenience of your own home. So they only work with orthodontists, not general dentists, um, no other tooth-related companies, just licensed orthodontists. And they're supervising, your supervising orthodontist will be with you every step of the way. So with Candid, the treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who created your plan, and you never have to wonder how you're doing, and there's the consistency there, and you'll always know. So the average Candid treatment is just six months, and you'll start seeing results way before then, and it costs thousands of dollars less than braces. So just a heads up, if you want to start straightening your teeth today, right now all my listeners can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash be there in five and use code be there in five. That's candidco.com slash be there in five with code be there in five. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. Candidco.com slash be there in five. Use code be there in five. Yeah. So pleather becoming vegan leather. I, I actually think that there's a, it's a, it's a partial shift in wanting to convey the materials, but more than anything, it's just a cosmetic, like it's like a branding thing. There's a huge push in sometime in the aughts where like officially whatever trade organization is adjacent to to the prune biz and now i don't mean the biz of saying the word prune so you can possibly marry kate nashley pouty in photos i mean actual prunes the negative connotations had gotten the best of them with like prune juice so there was a formal movement like fda cleared movement to change uh the name for prunes to dried plums Prune juice is still prune juice because it is liquid and dried plum juice makes no sense. (laughs) But I think that I guess the connotation with uh, prunes was just, you know, high fiber, older people. It didn't have the sexy je ne sais quoi that a dried plum has, obviously. Uh, I can't say I eat dried plums either, but a uh, grape is to a raisin as a plum is to prune, at least I think. And that was like a major food rebrand that was like the same thing. Uh, similarly, I worked with a client once that made, uh, I forget if they were chickpea or they went by chickpea or garbanzo, but chickpeas and garbanzo beans are the same thing. Chickpea is more commonly referred to in Middle Eastern dishes, whereas uh, garbanzo is a Spanish term, I think. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. We just had a PowerPoint party about like sources and I'm laughing that all the things I just say off the top of my head. But I, I, I try to get away with the fact that I'm not a real journalist. I'm a conversationalist, but, you know, I still feel a little guilty. But a lot of but I used to work in consumer packaged goods, so I feel a little safe. Um, uh, kiwi. So a kiwi or kiwi fruit 
is named after the bird from New Zealand. That's also their kind of, um, the, the, it's like a nickname for people from New Zealand, but a Kiwi bird is like furry and small and brown, uh, like a Kiwi, but Kiwi used to be called, uh, Chinese gooseberries, but there were negative connotations of, of gooseberries and the Kiwis were not selling at all. And they, like, like they went through this whole marketing process where at first they were going to call it like a melanette or uh, so, there was something else that was really funny that they were going to call it to, to think of now. But they landed on uh, Kiwi because of how major of an export it was from New Zealand, but also because it looked like the flightless bird. Oh my God. Wow. There's a lot of things intersecting here. Flightless Bird American Mouth is that magical iron and wine song from the end of Twilight under the twinkle lights in the gazebo that I um, pressed pause and uh, called my family in the room and said, if anyone should ever propose to me, please tell them I want this. And honestly, at that point, my hopes were all my, my hopes and dreams in life were simply a gazebo with twinkle lights, which I do. I find the a funny how things shift where a new frontier all of a sudden becomes it's a town of settlers that you're like, don't you want for more? Like I, I, the new frontier of twinkle lights to my teenage and early twenties was just like, damn, I was blown away by anything lit up like an outdoor bistro in a cobblestone alleyway. Now it's like a twinkle light in a gazebo might not, you know, I might be like, yeah, really? You couldn't like take them, take this to the next level. Like a gazebo, really? I liked this when I was 16 going on 17 because I saw the gazebo and the sound of music. But now when it comes to like twinkle lights, I need to be Von trapped in a uh, full on tent. Like I need a Meg's Gala bridal shower twinkle light situation. That bridal shower was insane. I still I think about it often. I, it was it, it, it was cascading. It was a cascading tent of twinkle lights with like butterflies fly. I mean, it, it, it reminded me of what they were trying to convey in some of the scenes of um like crazy rich Asians at that wedding scene where the water like goes down the aisle. Um, I just, I don't know. I think I just, I, I love a fairy light so much. And it's like nowadays I don't so much want the gazebo to be, you know, wrapped in lights as I want the gazebo to be made of lights. And that my friends is what gives this bird flight uh, to take it back to flightless bird, American mouth. Um, yeah. The gooseberry Chinese gooseberry was rebranded to the kiwi fruit and it took off from the rebrand alone. You guys, uh, lest we forget the Chilean sea bass it used to be called the, the Patagonian toothfish. And please spare me of your Hillary Duff jokes with your toothfish. Cause I support women over here. <laughs> A lot of requests to talk about Taylor Swift's hair. So, okay. I think that, my personal opinion is that if you are a famous person who from a young age has had people all up in your face and hair, the last thing you want to do, and this is not, does not include like the Kardashians or influencers or people that have not been like traditionally work hard, hustle, perform, rain or shine, rain or shine, sick or healthy, grueling tour, grueling media rounds, like famous, famous, celebrity famous is different from like, modern famous and I do think the Kardashians work hard but I do think that like performers and artists are forced to do glam as a byproduct to make them more marketable even though they might not always want it and the Kardashians and co are marketable like because of their glam like they've made 
part their appearance the product but i think a lot of times artists kind of begrudge how big of a factor their appearance is in their end product and i just have a theory that when you're off the clock um you do absolutely nothing to your appearance but beyond that you don't necessarily gain the skills to get yourself ready super well i think people are off put by her curly bangs i actually don't mind them at all um, but I think she's like grown out to like her more sandy blonde beige-ish hair instead of like the mega blonde highlights. I think even when she had her curly corkscrew curls, they they it wasn't like her hair was scrunched. It was like the texture was maintained, but it was like meticulously ringlet curled still. Um, and then I think her era by era, she redoes her look to kind of match what she wanted for her brand at the time. So side part, super curly um borderline like surfery country taylor was very uh self-titled fearless speak now you know there was kind of a not only was it country taylor it was very youthful it was very kind of associated with her you know it, it, it was a transition like it was this kind of like good girl cutesy youthful taylor and i think she wanted to mature as we went from speak now which she started to she started to edge up a bit and speak now um i mean what do we, we i mean what do we have in oh better than revenge oh, all of a sudden we go from our song is a slam screen door to like uh she's not a saint she's not what you think she's an actress she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress you and i both know taylor swift deeply regrets doing that song but you know i think like she was kind of going from uh, like cutesy and love sensory country type music that got more, you know, in the media positioned as always being heartbroken and like writing songs about boys, which she did, but it wasn't edgy. It wasn't sophisticated. I mean, last kiss actually is this is the all too well that doesn't get enough credit. And you and I both know that, uh, dear John is, is one of the most magical bridges I've ever heard, but the thing is, speak now, the dear John of it all, she still was Nicholas Sparks flying uh, in terms of the whimsy way in which she painted romance. Sorry, Doug Wood's having a meltdown. What was I saying? <laughs> so, yeah, but we from speak now to red, we sharpen our edges. We find a level of sophistication. You know, going from soft, curly youthful hair marked with naivete to bangs that have seen some shit is not an easy transition to make. For me, the straight hair and bangs, you know, while there is a lack of critical acclaim for the album Red in terms of its um, sonic incohesion, I'd argue for me, the straight hair and bangs were met with an ocular cohesion that I felt really did work for her. Where it went wrong for me, though, is the same way bangs always do. And no, it wasn't just the schoolboy shoes and the hanging out with the Kennedys and the, you know, kind of almost 1950s spin on... It's like the, the her style this era had a chance to be a little edgier and more sophisticated. It was, it was confusing because she did mature lyrically and with her hair in some of her clothes, but in some ways I saw it as a bit of a regression because moving on from this is impossible when I still see it all in my head and burning red because we could have burned we could have 
we've kind of really uh, things kind of he- really uh, had the chance to heat up in the wardrobe department. But I it was it was hep burning red. You know what I mean? It was hep burning kids. <laughs> Probably I would cut out. Uh, I said I wasn't going to edit this down unless the dog interrupts me or I get up. Uh, but it's inseparable to laugh at yourself as much as I do. But truly, I, a cad, a cads are classic in a sense, sure, but they're also very shoe carnival jamboree. Like the, the sophisticated, brilliant woman writing the lyrics to All Too Well t- to me just does not line up with the big Oshkosh bagosh energy of a of a you know sparkling white pair of cads. I fear I'm a little out of touch with this answer because I'm sure a lot of people still wear Keds. I just don't see them very often. And also, I feel like a more athletic sneaker is in right now. But if you wear Keds, I support your journey. It's just the, the, commenting on the style of a person who like gets to rebrand with unlimited resources is different than commenting on the everyday style of another. You know what I mean? Because for an everyday person, I would say cutting a bang you might really find yourself. You f- might find your face in those face framing layers. Like I support bangs, but they're the kind of like pop cultural trope of cutting bangs is like making an extreme decision to give yourself a new look and a full rebrand when you've gone through kind of an emotionally volatile situation. And I kind of do see this with um, two of my pop cultural icons, uh, one Taylor Swift and one Rory Gilmore. Both of these young women taught us that when you cut bangs, you do hang out with um, Northeastern high society, be it Taylor Swift at Hyannisport or Rory Gilmore and the Daughters of the American Revolution. But, you know, even though Taylor Swift said in the album Red, in the song Treacherous, she can't decide if it's a choice uh, getting swept away. I think we can all agree it was an active choice when she swept away her bangs to more of a side bang to transition to 1989 and also when Rory and Lorelai made up and she also swept aside her bangs like she did all of the baggage with her grandmother Emily. By the time we get to 1989 we are cutting off our hair like we're cutting our ties from country music. We want to look at Taylor Swift and in no way confuse her with prior eras. She sweeps aside her bangs. She cuts more of like a lob, a long bob slash at times an inverted bob. I really loved Taylor Swift's aesthetic this era, not necessarily from a standpoint of uh, being um, in alignment with my own taste so much as it was so distinct of this era. It was so such a departure from previous times. And she was out and about with a paparazzi. Like she super soaked us with media in a time that was really misleading relative to rap lover and folklore because I'm still forever chasing the level of coverage 1989 gave us because I I love listening to her speak about her work so much and I love when I get to uh, see paparazzi photos and I know everyone's like oh the paparazzi so intrusive I hope we now know with like it's the COVID of it all the lockdown of it all the Taylor Swift and hiding for years of it all me saying T Swift and Joe Alwyn strategically hop out and you know go to a restaurant or see the paparazzi here and there is not me being a bad fan. It's me pointing out to you how promotion works. There's this blazing denial of um, fans being willing to admit to when they're the object of their standum uh, is actively engaging in <laughs> marketing, and it's so weird to me because it's not a bad thing. I mean, like. 
I, it, I don't, it's just funny. I, it, anyways, I gotten so, this is when like the Taylor Swift fandom came after me when I backed off. Cause I was like, this isn't fun. This isn't worth it. This isn't enough of like my, like I like talking about Taylor Swift, but I don't think that I like my fandom of her affects my life in a deep way as it does other people that seemed very disturbed by the fact that like she could call the paparazzi. Um, it, it don't love her any less. If anything, I respect her all the more. Are you kidding me? I, I just I, I want us to like, uh, I don't know, I've always wanted us to allow women to like uh, t- take control over their lives and careers and uh, narratives and just be not like Rachel Hall's girl bosses, but like actual bosses that understand how things work and are willing to promote themselves and not be bashful about their own success. I am not an example of this. I struggle with this hugely because I'm embarrassed by half the stuff I do. Uh, because I think that I, for me to get to a certain level, it requires a disproportionate level of self-promotion to like my actual success level. And therefore is the ability to be uh, increasingly insufferable. But I think with a Taylor Swift, she is where she is because she's a brilliant marketer and we should respect that, not admonish it, not suggest that it's, it's just, it's a coy game of like, well, all shucks, you caught me here in this adorable two piece set with my boyfriend who's a mega DJ who's gunning for a Grammy. What are the odds? Like she said in that Billboard article, like it was I my my you know private life is going to be talked about whether I engage or don't engage. So I like used it to my advantage. Like yeah, she should. I mean, <laughs> if there was any uh, thing that interesting about my life, I'm sure I'd milk it. I'm sure I wouldn't be spending my time you know, making stop motion videos of American girl dolls doing WAP dances. If I had any, you know, meaningful talent or information to relay to the world. But unfortunately I have to rely on my content instead of my persona. But if I could sell, if I could sell some tickets, if I could get some downloads from like, I don't know, dragging Greg to the Whole Foods with me for a sighting, my God, I'd be like calling the paparazzi, like meet you by the rotisserie chickens in five. If that's all you had to do to make a buck. I just think people uh, villainize uh, standard celebrity behaviors in a funny way that just expresses the lack of knowledge there really is of what it takes to propel yourself from the the trade of actor or singer uh, or, or performer or whatever to celebrity because those are different things. One is what you do, one is what you become and sell yourself as. And there's many, many famous people that aren't the modern version of celebrity because by design, their work is well known, but their private life is virtually unknown. There's a level of control that exists that people aren't willing to cop to. Uh, But I feel like we're moving toward a more transparent, vulnerable world where hopefully that's a little bit more clear. Anyway, where was I? Oh, 1989. Yes. Uh, I, I guess... You know, I mean, for me, the only other thing that was iconic, more iconic this era than the duo that was Carly Claus and Taylor Swift was the duo that were her matching sets. Her fashion was outstanding in addition to her side sweat bang. The the entire thing was very like playful, single 80s synth pop, New York, flirty. Like I one thing I loved about this era is that as a kid in the nineties, I was a huge fan of what I call a, a, like a skater skirt, like a spin around skirt. I think, you know, I speak for many of us when I say that the artsier of the Olympic sports, the gymnastics and ice skating mostly 
really were formative, formative uh, viewing experiences for us. And much like I cried and threw a tantrum trying to get my mitts on a crushed velvet $90 leotard from the Richmond Olympiad for my short-lived gymnastics career that I had to quit because my feet touched the other side of the uneven bars because I was that much taller than everybody else. I also really, really wanted a collection of skater skirts, or I would call them like spin-around skirts, and I would go out on my deck and pretend to be, you know, Christy Yamaguchi, Oksana Bayul, Michelle Kwan and the gang, Tara Lipinski in later years, but I always felt Tara Lipinski had that Dominique Mochianu, like, don't fuck with me energy that it's like I might be the youngest one here, but I don't mess around. Things really changed after 94 in the figure skating world, obviously with the Kerrigan Harding of it all. But before that, the Yamaguchi gang, things were chill. Things were friendly. Things weren't as intimidating. I think it's safe to say I need to get away from this topic. Maybe I just need to go away in general, but regardless, we have Away as a sponsor this week. I have been using Away's luggage for a long time now. It is beautiful. It is light. It is convenient. It is compressing. It is. Uh, it keeps your belongings safe and is chic all the same. Uh, you can count on Away's range of essentials to solve real travel problems wherever you take the next trip. I know we're limited on traveling, but still, I think what's really, you know, an interesting opportunity, obviously, listen to your local officials about uh, restrictions with COVID. But in many cases, I've been able to kind of explore nearby locations that I maybe wouldn't have prioritized before, like going to Michigan wine country and the like. And it's been a good way to get away Uh, even if not far. And I've still been taking all of my away gear with me because I love it so much and I can compress everything. And it's got the 360 wheels and a lock and a laundry bag and a a USB port. I mean, it's it's like, it's the inspector gadget of luggage. It's really wonderful. They're they're made to last a lifetime. My God, you can do a hundred day free trial, take it on the road, live with it, travel with it. If it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. And if you want to start your 100-day trial and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases, go to awaytravel.com slash be there in five. That's awaytravel.com slash be there in five. Anyways, didn't mean to talk about Taylor Swift's hair that long, but uh, it's good. I think that when you have a product that is marked by an era and a sound and a brand and a and a product um that has to uh, closely interchange with your persona it kind of makes sense that you would change up your vibe in a marketing sense not everybody does this but i think she's done it really really well and then i mean the 1950s nostalgic hepburn june cleaver vibe fortunately died and was reborn in the form of 1989 but then uh, the old Taylor Swift couldn't come to the film right now. Why? Because she's dead. So we got we we were we were born, and then we R.I.P. Dead died, and then we rose up from the dead. We did it all the time, but we were reborn in the version of like a wet-headed, slicked-back, dark lipstick, newsprint all over you, big reputation energy that kind of took the best of both worlds from the red straight hair bang and the 1989 slightly flippy bang with shorter hair and it was a short hair full bang and that it I feel like in this era we almost got to a more like rocker bang uh but eventually like even well toward the end of 1989 we get like the Anna Wintour blunt cut and the bang for the you know uh, 
what's it called? The color blocked famous Grammy speech. Um, but before reputation, I would be remiss not to mention Bleachella, which to Taylor Swift fans is a very notable era that I don't hate because I kind of saw like I knew you were trouble when you wore Keds as like her faux rebellion. But I think Bleachella was her like zero F's rebellion, like 1989 height, height, height of her career, insane success, very public paparazzi laden relationship with like a Calvin Harris um, you know, calls out Kanye, the Grammys is just kind of like at the top of her game, risking oversaturation. And, uh, you know, I think going into that summer when a lot of the pressure was off, you know, she hosts the Met Gala, gets in a getaway car with Tom Hiddleston after she breaks up with Calvin, after he got in that weird car crash. Um, and then, you know, she meets Joe in some time around here. We don't know if this is the cruel summer or not. Uh, and then only ultimately to get royally canceled in what July of 20 was it July of 2016 July August of 2016 and then write her brooding album you know about her how her reputation has never been worse but we still like her for her uh I kind of just see there this very almost um prophetic <laughs> role bleachella played in like completely washing her of her prior persona. It's almost like she needed to prove to her label she could be a pop sensation. So she's going to be, if she's if they're like, you better be successful if you're going to switch categories. Taylor Swift's going to be like, oh no, I will be the most successful. Like I will, I will run this town. And she does. And I think there was like a lot of pressure, a very public lifestyle, a lot of criticism and frustration and a lot of caring of the old, you know, serial dater, uh, write songs about boys nonsense tropes into it when she was just trying to make it all about friends but then she was chastised for squad goals and the whole thing um, I see Bleachella's being like okay I'm I'm done with most of like I'm done with my uh, tour most of my responsibilities I am done with this relationship that I would argue is at the very least set up by like agents and managers. I don't know how legit it was, but like I told you once, I'll tell you again. I think Calvin Harris's tweets about um, like how the past year he grew a big old beard in hopes to win a Grammy, but he never won one is the weirdest effing thing ever. And I still don't get it. And I like can't help but wonder if he, like he somehow thought that by dating her, he was going to get more on, you know, the music industry's radar and gain more credibility, maybe. Um, but because that was around the same time, he started becoming like a Calvin Klein model. And I was like, who is this guy? And uh, to be fair, I mean, I feel like he kind of sort of superstar him. He just kind of looked like an a-hole in the end when he was like, I'm not going to let you take me down like you did Katy Perry or whatever. Wow, that was an exciting era of drama. I don't wish it upon anyone. And, you know, I love T-Swift, but like that was a wild thing to weather as a fan, much less uh, uh, her. My God. But I, I probably would have written I did something bad as well. I think her doing something bad personally was her coming out and saying that she was Nils Soberg when she was supposed to keep her identity under wraps uh, about his song, this is what you came for. Anyway, I just see bleach the bleached hair era as a cleanse from a lot of the uh, more forced structural elements of her career that she still had to endure in order to prove herself until she got to a status like in reputation or like Beyonce with uh, like, you know, the self-titled and lemonade 
where you just know people are going to be interested in what you do and you don't even have to do a media tour. You don't even have to promote. Um, that's kind of the best case scenario scenario. Cause I think for most like genuine artists, all the fluff of promotion is probably the worst part of the job when they want to be like performing, writing and singing. Um, even though I miss it as a fan anyway. Uh, so rep, she's like MIA and then she has an emerge tilted rep tour, which we have a longer shoulder length hair and bangs. It's almost the more similar to the, uh, I knew you were trouble when you wore kids video. Uh, but that was a wig. I don't know. I feel like this is a similar vibe during Lover and Folklore doesn't really count because we have, it was like a surprise album amidst quarantine and we've really only seen her in the Cardigan video, which to be fair, I don't know the last time you guys were stranded out at sea on your piano, but I don't think my hair could withstand the moisture either and my bangs would curl. Uh, she did a voting video today where her bangs were curly and I just think she has curly hair and I think... Uh, she doesn't style it when she's off the clock. I think I, I, my theory, as I've told you before, is that she deeply resents the level of fame she has and she's trying to undo it a little. I think she loves her true fans and loves her art and has a level of wealth and success and fame that she, as like a goal setting type A person, probably really wanted to get to only to get there. And as many of us do in our thirties, realize these arbitrary like standards and this yardstick we hold ourselves to from our ideas of success and fulfillment in our youth don't match at all what we, our needs are as adults. And, you know, in enduring this recalibration, we kind of try to undo some of the stuff we did, even though we both identify with it and resent it all the same. I think that, um, she, uh, operated from a lot of her own insecurities and deficits. Like she said, and says in her poems, you know, something similar to trying to fill the empty seats of the lunch tables of her past. And I think we all do these things where we, 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 we self-sabotagingly raise our own bar, no matter how successful we get. Uh, but beyond that, we get to points of success where we realize it's not all it's cracked up to be. And then we almost have to completely reevaluate the KPIs that we live our life against. And, uh, it's, I don't, I don't know. I'm projecting majorly, but I feel like I just understand what she was doing throughout her twenties. And I understand like, she doesn't, she never makes me mad the way other people do who are so willing to, to be like, she's unlikable. She writes songs about boys. She's exclusive with her friend groups, blah, blah, blah. Cause I just feel like I understand the nature of her type of person. And I don't, I mean, I think like she said, she's never been a natural. All she does is try, try, try. I relate to this deeply. I think she very much has always been in character and, um, I don't fault her. Like, I think some people were saying that they just don't love the curly bangs or the hair vibe right now, but like, I mean, I don't really care. She's off the clock. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think that she probably finds a whole lot of peace in not having to be in character. And this is why I really enjoyed folklore, even though I don't find myself listening to it as much lately, because I, I have to definitely be in the mood. I like that. She, I just always, I felt like it was an almost meta approach to the folklore of her career, the folklore that is her, her life stories, her intertwining of her stories with other people's. And how no matter how strongly she controls the narrative and tells us the truth, she will always have to deal with the inevitability of her truth being uh, twisted, her intentions being separate from how they are received. And uh, most of us get to move on with our life 
with our behavior being folded into the distant memory of the people we've crossed, but hers is is media and pop cultural folklore that unwittingly serves as a bibliography for her greatest foes to forever have evidence to back up their ruthless and inaccurate claims about her poor character. And for that, I feel for her because I've always thought she was a nice person who means well. And I always understand, I really genuinely understand, uh, like how the perception is that you think you're so cool. But the irony is that people that showcase their lifestyle in that way do not think they're cool at all. Therefore, they are soliciting the validation of other people thinking they're cool, you know? Anyway, guys, this kind of feeds into one of the next questions as I'm scrolling through, which is kind of funny that I'll do this quickly. Um, LOL that I keep saying that. But uh, somebody said mapping <laughs> Gilmore Girls characters to Taylor Swift albums. Okay, I'm going to do this quickly and imperfectly. Title album like you know, upbeat country, sweet, sing-songy, uncomplicatedly pleasant is a sucky, you know, especially because Gilmore Girls was a point of entry for me to Melissa McCarthy, to what we now know to be a megastar, much like the, you know, Taylor Swift self-titled album was an intro to a now megastar. I'm going to say Fearless is, um, it has to be somebody who's actually quite fearful. Like, uh, words like fearless, like people who, um, make exclamations of being like unstoppable or, you know, not held back are typically pretty repressed people, uh, whether, you know, by their own accord or not. And, um, they almost have to overcompensate by saying things like being fearless when I think as we know now, she was quite fearful at that point in her career. But to be fair, I think she specifically meant in the context of in her uh, in the storm in her best dress which you know depending on the fabric I might be fearless too but I'm going to say fearless is Lane Kim Lane Kim the offspring of Seventh-day Adventist mother which if you listen to my podcast about the Nexium cult I learned a little bit more about Seventh-day Adventists in an unrelated journey um I think Lane Kim represents somebody who is deeply um suppressed by their conservative parent yet holds immense respect for them all the same, so isn't completely rebellious, yet wants to live out a version of their life on their own terms that is in direct conflict with their environment. Maybe, you know, since it's the album with, like, love story and the like, I'm romanticizing, you know, the perfection that is Dave Rogalski. Uh, or, hey, Stephen, one of Lane's d children's name is Steve, her twins, Quan and Steve. Um, I, I just think that this, you know, the, the 15 vibes... I mean, Lane did not have a great experience the first time her and Zach slept together. And an episode that I actually found really upsetting and not a fair plot line for her that I did not love at all. And like her, like trying, I actually, I'm kind of mad at now that I'm thinking about this, but the, I don't need to get into it. The purity culture of it all of like being like kind of a, uh, growing up in a strict, like purity only virginal context that was insisted upon her only to, to have the worst first experience and get pregnant immediately almost as if it's like punishment you know what I mean I don't love that for her but anyway um I'm, yeah anyways I, it's not it's not a perfect science but I'm just gonna say Lane Kim while Taylor Swift is like burning red and I said like hep burning I Lane brings the hep into it with the hep alien of it all and there's something here that I can't tie together because I'm too tired and nobody cares about my play on words 
But anyway, let's move on to speak now. Um, okay, let's speak now. Like mine, in like uh, sparks fly. Speak now is enchanted. Ours. I'm gonna say this is Logan Huntsberger because speak now to me is all about um, a metaphorical like grand gesture with perhaps little follow through. Um, you know, you're not going to yell from the back of the room. Don't say yes, run away now. I'll meet you in an hour at the church by the back door. Uh, but that is a very Logan Huntsberger move. He loves a gesture. He loves to fly in for one night from London. He loves to bring a coffee cart to her dorm room. He, He loves to Mary Poppins style hop off of some large scaffolding of the life and death brigade. Um, it's like, my instinct is to not trust a man with that blonde of hair in adulthood. His blonde hair tells me lies, but his dimples tell me the truth. Logan's two dimples and blonde hair, the ultimate two truths and a lie, because he's just, his facial expressions I find so charming. I'm actually quite into Matsukri. I feel like people love, like, uh, anyways, I don't need to get it. I've explained, I, I have a lot of um, Patreon content about Gilmore Girls. Uh, not only do I have a full on 30 to 40 minute fanfic where I write like an episode for how um, Stars Hollow would what it would be like during the pandemic. I also have like a deep dive on a year in the life and the show in general. If you want to hear me, uh, you know, talk about how I think Dean's an anti-vaxxer. Um, I, I don't I don't like Dean at all. I don't romanticize him at all. I think he's awful. But I think Logan, like speak now is you know even um people throw rocks at things that shine uh, uh, the parent the mitchum and shira huntsberger not approving rory like why you gotta be so mean i, I mean like last kiss is one of my favorite songs of all time uh, i do recall now the smell of the rain fresh on the pavement i ran off the plane who can run off a plane except somebody who flies private you know who flies private logan effing huntsberger uh, she was definitely enchanted to meet him. There, but there's probably a better than revenge vibe because of that bridesmaid. I'm sure, like the, he got her that the, the the absolute dream to get a coffee cart to follow her around. That was in a Christmas episode, and I'm sure you know they. She goes back to December all the time. I mean, I I, I feel like uh, Rory and Logan were the first relationship where they were like they were more like kissing and like sexual like you could feel their tension um and to me i mean one of i think some of taylor's most mature lyrics delivered in a a girlish light-hearted package as the line from sparks fly um hit me with those green eyes baby when the lights lights go down give me something that will haunt me when you're not around like shit that to me is very logan vibes uh but i also think that oh my god i just got <laughs> i just got goosebumps goosebumps this is so dumb i'm so lame i was just he he made a rebel of a careless man's careful daughter <laughs> Is something happening here? Do we need to do like a crossover somehow? Wow, wow, wow. No offense to Christopher, but you know, he is careless and his daughter's careful, but she did steal a yacht with Logan. I'm not gonna say Dear John works for my favorite episode of Killmore Girls, which is You Jump, I Jump Jack, but Jack is a nickname for John and like I could make it work if I wanted to, but I can't because I need to move on. 
Um, I'm moving on to red. So so Logan is speak now because there's a lot of ties there. Red is Rory because it is not sonically cohesive and nor is her character. Um, she goes from like timid to sassy to bookish to ditzy to uh, her, her taste in men is all over. She the, the whole thing with her sleeping with Dean was so weird. She's like all hot and cold and the relationship with the grandparents and Lorelai and like it's all over the place. She was never my favorite character. She's never the strongest character. She's largely trying to figure herself out the entire time. And then the revival was just a character assassination that made her seem like a whiny entitled monster. Um, the thing is I like red and I think red is marked with a level of sophistication that like Rory Gilmore really is best exuded through her decision to get bangs, but also like Taylor Swift, those bangs are, you know, marked with the blunt reality that this era was not the most favorable to her reputation. This is when she's enveloped in Emily's world, in the Yale world, in the, in the you know, bougie, uh, high society of, of Hartford, not dissimilar from T. Swift and Hyannis part with the Kennedys. A lot of parallels to be drawn here. Uh, I think that Rory, you know, Gilmore, Rory is the main character of, of Gilmore Girls. And Gilmore Girls is the biggest fall energy, which so is all too well. So that's understandable. I'm not going to go song for song here because I don't think this is a strong enough tie because I'm just trying to keep moving. Rory's not my favorite character and you'll never hear me analyze her with the level of depth that I would say a Kirk, who is, I think, 1989. Kirk is the ultimate chameleon. Not only would he really do well with the holographic, um, you know, almost purple sheen that the of, of an undertone that the 1989 era is marked with he also you know you think about the shake it off video the introduction to that era and it's just her uh rotating through different like costumes and it, those kind of remind me of kirk's 62 jobs at one point he did dress as a swan and so did taylor he, you know he's been a dj a dog walker he's uh i don't know like worked in a movie theater had kirk's diner he installed dsl he really can do it all I think similar to the 1989 era, Kirk has, he's so well-intentioned um, and he can be sweet, but in an effort to fit into these roles, he has to put on a facade that can be off-putting in its delivery and make people separate from the underlying character and over-associate with the disjointed nature of the jobs or roles instead of with the uh, consistency of his um, kindness and well-meaning. I also think that, like his 62 jobs, it's kind of like Taylor Swift's 50 guests she brought on stage at the 1989 World Tour. Um, I don't know. I just feel like, all things considered, Kirk never goes out of style, mostly because he never really was in style. And with that, our last sponsor this week, uh, who is most certainly in style, it is Rothy's. You can get cozy this fall with comfortable, washable, and sustainable products from Rothy's. They have incredibly stylish uh, and sustainable shoes and bags that are crafted with eco-friendly materials that uh, are made of repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. We learned so much about recycling this week on the PowerPoint party on Patreon from somebody that works in metals. And I'm super, I don't know, I'm on like a recycling kick now. And I like need to see a process map of these the plastic bottles because I find this utterly fascinating. But the biggest point of fascination for me 
is the zero break-in period these shoes have. They're seamlessly knit to shape uh, with many many different styles and they just they don't give you blisters or make your feet hurt like typical shoes do especially in like a loafer style um like their their best-selling shoe the point in black has over 3,000 near perfect reviews uh vogue called rothy's a personal obsession hell says they're the most comfortable shoes on earth and i say five stars be there in five stars uh the newest the newest rothy styles they have brand new bags masks and the return of their best-selling merino shoes made from a blend of their signature sustainable thread and their softest material ever so go check it out they have a lot of different colors and prints and patterns depending on the season and they come with free shipping and free returns again you're you're wearing shoes and bags made out of recycled plastic water bottles i I can't get over it that's so cool uh they've transformed over 65 million bottles into beautiful products and they are fully machine washable so if you want to check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothy's Go to rothys.com slash be there in five. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash be there in five. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash be there in five today. I think you and I both know I'm going to pick Lorelai for Reputation. And this is because Reputation is my favorite album and Lorelai is my favorite character. It's um, imperfect. It's a little overcompensating. It's perhaps putting too much credit in the thoughts others have toward you uh, but it's artistic in its processing I think that Lorelai will forever be uh, marked by the scarlet letter if you will that being a teen mother gave her and she's you know aimed to start over by you know going off to Stars Hollow starting the Independence Inn uh, turned Dragonfly and we all know that Taylor Swift's Independence from, uh, you know, her previous career and reputation ultimately did turn into dragonflies and butterflies as well uh, in the lover era. But beyond that, I think Lorelai, um, she just, she wants to, she, she really wants to be, uh, you know, you must like me for me. She wants to be liked for her. She's not impressed by context or wealth or status, and she doesn't want that projected onto her either. And I think like, Lorelai makes a lot of bad decisions. She did something bad. Like she really does uh, kind of string people along and break up with them abruptly and has had a lot of different relationships. And she kind of stubbornly retaliates. Look what you made me do vibes. I mean, could there be a faster, more obvious getaway car than her marriage to Christopher? Are you kidding? Was that after Luke lied to... Lorelai or didn't tell her about April. Oof, that was tough stuff. But at the same time, I think that her kind of emerging with Luke and um, them weathering this storm is very like dancing with their hands tied um, vibes in a sense, or like King of My Heart vibes too, like kind of the simple things in life. Luke being a simple guy up on the roof with his girl, girl crush, drinking beard of plastic cups, he fancy me, not fancy stuff. Maybe all at once, this is enough. Luke doesn't like fancy stuff, but he's the king of Lorelai's heart and he always emerges as such. I do think that their on and off relationship too is very call it what you want. Like, who cares? They're, they are what they are to each other. And New Year's Day just kind of reminds me of their magical wedding scene in um, the revival paired with uh, how much Lorelai loves to like smell snow and how twinkle lighty and charming Gilmore Girls is. But alas, what does Stars Hollow do best? It, they, they, somebody in town, one of the cast of characters, always ruins something. And, you know, this is why we can't have nice things. I'm going to say that Lover 
is is Taylor. And by Taylor, I mean Taylor Dosey. I just see him being the type of guy that loves songs like me and like Pharrell's Happy and Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling. The soda shop whimsy is very like Trolls vibes, which is very much the vibe of Taylor Swift's Me video. And Taylor Dosey loves himself. He's all about me. Uh, the, you know, everything in town, all the events, all the, like everything he wants to do is just like only about him. But it's because I think Lover in this context is a big love letter to Stars Hollow. I mean, it's clear that he loves the town uh, and thinks he's doing everything in the best interest of the town. And, you know, seems to start every town meeting thinking that, you know, no, nobody hates him. It's very, I forgot that you existed. Like, Taylor Swift selected a man, finally. Taylor Dosey is town selectman. <laughs> I don't know. The aesthetic is very ice cream queen soda shop of it all. Um, the the nature of... He's had many a cruel summer. I mean, look what happened with the, the pickle truck. Death by a thousand pickle trucks. <laughs> That's not a perfect metaphor. But I do think Taylor is awful in so many ways, but... At the end of the day, he really loves Stars Hollow, and he can keep the Christmas lights up in the gazebo until January. This is his place he makes the rules, you know? Even, like, Stars Hollow's vibe in general is who could ever leave me, darling, but who could stay, you know? Uh, okay, and then folklore is a bit tricky. I kind of see Gilmore Girls' entire aesthetic as being very folklore and the entire point of having such a um, an ensemble cast is to show the same things from different perspectives. It's a story of of, of generations, of patterns, of, of where we deviate in our nurture, but uh, remain constant in our nature, no matter how hard we try. And mapping the girls throughout the three generations and their life events, I think it represents so many realms of folklore just in that we see Rory's experience firsthand and then how Lorelai interprets it. We you know, hear Lorelai's experience firsthand, but Emily's version of, of history of the truth is so vastly different. Then Lorelai or and Rory and Emily almost write their own relationship, skipping over the complexities Lorelai brings into the picture. And Richard and Emily kind of um, creates this future lore and, and how Rory's life will play out. And uh, I think it's kind of an interesting thing of the folklore of Luke and Lorelai and how they belong together, but the history that exists within her and Christopher. And uh, I feel like Jess is like the folkloriest of all, not only his brooding author leather jacket vibes, but I almost think the fandom uh, romanticizes his character in a way that I don't know if he actually has the depth that we want him to, or if he's just wearing a leather jacket. You know what I mean? I think Jess is a great example of a hard exterior and a heart of gold, and he's been through some stuff, and, you know, his complexities only add to his alleged artistry that Rory's so impressed by as a uh, true wordsmith and verbal gymnast herself. She needs to meet her match. Well, I think her and Logan have good sexual tension and banter. Uh, Jess and Rory's conversations are elevated. And I think that Jess is the best guy, maybe. Like, the most enjoyable character, because Logan still has his annoying rich boy flaws. I don't think that Jess is the best for Rory. Like, I don't really know if I see them working, especially not in the version the revival gave us. But uh, to quote John Oliver, 
not my stars hollow, which is what he said about, um, there was like a really funny John Oliver, like a last week tonight episode over the summer where John Oliver opened by talking about, we was just now watching Gilmore girls and he was furious about the revival because of Paul. Remember Rory's weird boyfriend, Paul? And he was like, not my stars. Hollow. I was like, I agree. Anyway, guys, that was such a, that was a, I spent way too long on that. And for that, I am sorry. I guess Michelle is that like elusive TS6 where, you know, in the look what you made me do video, there's like an, uh, Taylor's dressed in all her outfits and there's the tailor in that pink palm print on the plane wing cutting off the wing and on the tail end it says TS6 and a lot of people think that uh whatever project Taylor Swift 6 was was grounded and that reputation was made in response to 2016 because you know she works on stuff in advance and that's like one of the pieces that that's like one of my top questions if I ever come into contact with her, I'm going to ask her about that plane wing and TS6 and if Reputation was the intended project. And if the project was scrapped, what is it? Where is it? I kind of think some of it is Lover. I kind of feel like Lover's aesthetic was like a little, it was like two years delayed. You know what I mean? And I feel like her enthusiasm for it was so low and she didn't media tour it that much. Obviously, we didn't tour it because of COVID, but I don't even know if she, I, I don't know. I feel feel confused about Lover. Like folklore was the project she's been wanting to make, but hasn't had an excuse to. And it was great. I just don't know what it looks like tour wise. Okay, let's move on. This one says YouTube stars trying to become successfully or not mainstream media stars. Um, I like, I honestly, I don't really care how you get started. I care that you're bringing something of quality and not just popularity. And I think we live in a world that, uh, like regards popularity over everything. And it's really frustrating and if I were a person like trying to put myself out there and like write or do make art or do anything creatively or make content I would see what's popular and I wouldn't I I would lower my own bar to pander to clickbait and I almost wish that people that were doing like higher quality stuff got more famous but that's just not what the mass is like they want to watch a six-year-old open like toy boxes and pay them 50 million dollars I don't know it's like I, so I don't fault people for how they get their start. Like I wouldn't say like you don't deserve XYZ because of YouTube, TikTok, Insta, whatever. It's so hard to get on the map, whatever way you can achieve that. That's great. I just would ask that there's people bringing quality, diversity, representation, different perspectives, uh, a level of, of eloquence and intelligence to the table that a lot of these people get like commentary jobs and kind of infiltrate the media uh, in a way that makes them kind of a persona, yet people seem to feel entitled to be paid as a persona while exhibiting so little personality, and I find it offensive. Um, okay, I haven't listened to Ariana Grande's new album. I haven't had time. Uh, I will, though. My artisanal salt gift guide. Oh, my God. I just bought more tahin today. I'm still team tahin, and then... The second type of salt I use the most is probably just kosher salt, if I'm honest. Uh, I do love a Himalayan pink, and I do have a, a like a Hawaiian black like lava salt thing that Greg got me because I get salt as gifts for my birthday that I really like on steak. This person said, why aren't there more single girl influencers? Uh, my answer to this would be two-pronged in that I think there are single girl influencers that are great. Um... I mean, my, I have several friends, actually, uh, like Merritt, Beck, Jess Dirty, Grace, and Becca, Grace Atwood, Becca Freeman, Ashley and Raina from Girls Gotta Eat. Like, there's a lot of, I actually think there's a ton of um, 30-something single women 
that are awesome, responsible influencers that are so fun to follow. But in the context of like the type of, uh, you know, like Turtle Creek Lane type of influence, like, you know, there's like those types of influencers. There's more mommy bloggers. There's uh, a lot of like young couples that I think, I think, I mean, it's a couple things. One, I really genuinely think that people who have influencer husbands that are invested in the business, take it seriously, take the photos, go on the trips, be the assistant basically, and that like eat up the Instagram fame. Um, while that's not the life for me, I bet I'd be a hell of a lot more successful if I could somehow convince my husband to get really into it, follow me around, take pictures and prioritize content when I don't, it might seem like I post all the time, but either my husband's at work or sleeping and around him, I'm not really doubling down on content. So I can kind of keep my worlds separated. I have this theory, like in my head, I'm, I I just feel like whenever I watch people mess up or their careers crash down or something awful happens, it's just like, you feel like everything's caving in on you, but something's very like beautiful and peaceful to me that like, Everybody on the internet could absolutely hate me and my husband would have no idea and my home would be like a safe space away from all of that like fodder. And even though I hope that never happens, I think I just like am an anxious person that assumes I'll become a victim of circumstance that's outside of my control or something. Uh, Or, you know, sorry, I was opening a pack of Smarties and I did get them 90% off at Aldi because nobody likes Smarties but me. Uh, I... Or like even one of the more intense days on Instagram when people were telling me I was like a child trafficker because I was explaining how Wayfair's algorithms work and denouncing QAnon. I just like mentioned it offhandedly. He kind of like laughed. I was showing him DMs. He's like, people are crazy. I was like, aren't they? And he's like, good thing they're strangers. I was like, yeah, totally. And we like went to the driving range. (laughs) Just like didn't worry about it. So it's one of those things where I try to be really open and transparent about stuff to you guys because this is my job. And um I mean, like childless millennial, like I poured my, like that was stuff he doesn't even know a lot of. Like, I really take it, this as a, a medium for, for vulnerability when it's, it could be helpful. I take that seriously. Uh, and I think there's an element of people wanting to maintain privacy that makes them like hold back or I'm off put by people that like are a little half in, half out, or people like, like Chris and Cavallari being like in a reality show, but not having her kids on. It's like, seriously. But, that's why, I mean, I'll always open up and tell you everything from my perspective. I just can't speak for him. And uh, not like the social media stuff like isn't for everybody. And to loop back to my other point, one, my sometimes I wonder if they're even though like the women I mentioned that uh, are some of my friends like are incredibly successful. I wonder if it's a little harder for like single women to get to the level of like, you know, the Julia Barrelsheimers of the world. Uh, because people like, uh, Julia have a partner that is like all in with Teddy. And I think that's a huge contributor to success. And I think doing that on your own is harder. And it means you should give women all the more credit who do it solo, especially because I don't think it's always easy to date, uh, as a single influencer and to put your life out there. And a lot of guys don't really get social media or the excessive sharing or take, even though they should and they will, hopefully, if you explain it to them, I think it's it's a little bit hard of, of a job to explain up front, you know? So I don't know. I think, yeah, it's I guess it's a bit of both. I think there are a lot of great single influencers. 
but if your observation is that there are far more married, I wonder if their partners are involved and or the nature of a dual income household has allowed somebody to take um, some more risk because starting this stuff takes so much time that your average person on the side doesn't necessarily have. And or there's a level of, you know, it's like once you're married and you have kids and like all this stuff's permanent. You kind of just like live out loud and do all of like the influencer cheese you want and like, you know, not going to affect your dating life. So maybe people just like lean into the bloggerness of it all uh, if they are at a place where they have more fixed figures in their life. Because trust me when I say it is so uncomfortable all the time to explain to people <laughs> uh, like even podcasting, like I have very close friends that literally do not think it's real or serious. Like I saw a good friend recently that was it's like, remind me what your podcast is about. <laughs> and like I've been doing it for three years. And I only say that because like, I just think some people really do not view uh, careers outside of what they view as normal to be respectable. And you can, I don't know, it just like, I could see like the biggest, most famous formula one driver, in the world out and about and I'd be like oh hi whatever like I wouldn't even care because I don't watch Formula One racing I could be Joe Rogan and my friend wouldn't care because she doesn't listen to podcasts or understand you know what I mean this is why we have to get our approval from within these conversations used to really bother me and make me feel stupid uh and now I just don't engage and I move on from the subject but anyway I guess maybe that kind of answered that question I'm not really sure Shoot, I lost my place. Turtle Creek's Lane Christmas takeover. I can't. It's like, it must be not. I mean, she's like, it's someone filming her house tomorrow for television with Christmas decorations, like on election day. Like, as if nothing. I mean, granted, I'm sitting here comparing Gilmore Girls to Taylor Swift albums, but something about their level of bliss is disturbing. Um. Oh, yeah. Keith Raniere got to 120 years, like life in prison. Thank God. The Vow is, uh, sorry, Seduced on Stars with India Oxenberg is so good. Episodes two and three were outstanding and told me so much new information. If you're into The Vow and the Nexium cult, I did an episode about it actually too um, recently. And I tagged India in a story earlier being like, I really enjoy the show and India's candor. And she DM me with suffocating speed back. <laughs> saying thank you. And she's very sweet. Um, it's always interesting to me who's like, active and checking dms i just feel deeply deeply sorry for her and what she was put through and it just like it, a lot of the episode i spent trying to figure out how they get you um but i think seduced on stars does actually a really good job i was kind of trying to di like dissect esp like how what it just didn't even seem that interesting or fun to me like why you would keep doing it but i think india's it goes way deeper into dos and how you end up from like, you know, a coach and executive success programs to essentially a, a sex slave. Um, I'm so interested to see what happens to Allison Mack. What masks would have been in style in the 2000s? <laughs> I mean, peace frogs, big dogs. Um, all, all, like, I, I love a coastal T-shirt everybody has to have. I love a, a, a salty dog uh, you know, Hilton head. I love a black dog, Martha's Vineyard. I love a brew through North Carolina. I feel like the 2000s were a time where, you know, our wanderlust, instead of being marked by photos of plane wings and first class 
upgrades uh, was more so about the T-shirts you collected along the way that showcase your global footprint, whether through Hard Rock, Planet Hollywood, or whatever you could get your mitts on at the wings of the Ron John Surf, surf Shop. <laughs> um, various TikTok niches. I mean, I, what's what tone I love? I love Chinese male street fashion TikTok. I love um, anything in your apartment or life or kitchen or boyfriend's house or grandma's house or rich mom's house or friend's closet that just makes sense. Um, I love, uh, there's a trend that was like the intrusive thought TikTok, um, where you're doing something going along your way and then it showcases an intrusive thought. And that's where I heard the girl say that there's nothing less attractive than a guy chasing a ping pong ball. And I just felt so deeply understood about the ways in which, um, like quasi male athletic ventures turn for life always turned me off. I struggle with POV TikTok. It's so cringe-tastic. I need to go deeper into POV. You guys don't even know how cringy these things are. There's this one person that like calls themselves vampire dad. (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Uh, POV TikTok's a bit tough for me. I like the recent duet where it's the anaconda, like this dude named Michael used to ride motorcycles. Uh, I think that one's really cute when people duet uh, duet themselves. Uh, I really like uh, well, no, I guess it's not what I like. It's the niches. I, I naturally, my algorithm is sourcing from my other research. I get a lot of evangelical TikTok, unfortunately, and a lot of, uh, ex-Mormon TikTok. I love, I get goosebumps from those electric love kissing ones. Um, I'm kind of like over just the general dancing, unless it's a good dance, like the yell, no, I'm a freak handcuffs leashes one that I thought was a really good spin on WAP. Uh, even though the WAP dance is over, I've really, um, like the ones where people kick their leg up in the air and they transform their outfit. I think that that's just like a fun visual. And every time I get ready, I think, God, why didn't I take it before of myself kicking my foot in a chair? I like day in the life vlogs of really, really out of touch people in New York city that like go to Columbia and make it seem like literally all they do is eat like macarons. As if, like, the locals uh, dine at La Durée <laughs> in the Upper West Side. Um, I just, and it's like, we're in a pandemic. I mean, the whole, whatever, the whole thing. Uh, I, I don't know, you guys. I've been a lot of niche TikToks, but uh, I love where I end up. Uh, lately, I've been uh, seeing a lot more content on Freak Talk, which is weird and not something I pursued. But there is a whole uh, subculture of people that are like vaguely sexual, but kind of, it's kind of like vampire dad. They're like POVs where they're like, it's some sound and it's like, when your girl does this to your this. And it's like, what? Jeez. But it's not like explicit. It's just kind of like off-putting, you know, after getting lost in the, the beauty, the satisfaction that is either power washer TikTok or uh, weed whacker TikTok. Is that what it's called? I don't know a lot about like lawn instruments, but there's this thing that like helps you edge the grass by a sidewalk and God, it is gorgeous. Anyway, this person said small appliances. Um, I don't understand an instant pot, but I will tell you that I almost exclusively use my toaster oven and air fryer and I don't really use my real oven ever unless it's a HelloFresh, uh, like potato roasting situation. Um, my husband uses the stove when he cooks meat, but 
yeah, I pretty much live off an air fryer and a toaster oven. I don't really see myself as an instant pot person, but let me know if you think otherwise. Ooh, flocked versus non-flocked Christmas trees. The what I call home goods dandruff. Um, I think they're beautiful, but I just like, I don't live in a grand, you know, foyer staircase, uh, McMansion with like a several stories tree, a winter wonderland garland up and down the stairs, those clove thingies stabbed into oranges, the fragrance of the home. Uh, I think that there's a, there's a disconnect, uh, millennial wise, because I think a lot of us millennials are still like trying to figure it out, like financially, family and otherwise, um, versus the people that do have it figured out have been like settled in their suburb of wherever and married with kids and have disposable income, be it because of where they live or because of their influencer job. And because they're in this context of like super family vibes and their life is their content, I think they excessively decorate for Christmas, perhaps in, you know, of course people like Christmas in, in a nostalgic manner. Like I live for Christmas, but I'm not a big decorator, My, but my family is and I love it. Um, but I can see myself doing more of that if I had kids or if I had a house that was like something I wanted to decorate. I just like I'm not going to put a huge ass crumbly flocked Christmas tree in my like one bed apartment plus den. It's technically two bed, but I, this is a den. I don't even have an air vent. Um, it's, it's tough in here. It's my office, the den. Uh, and, um, I mean, I love my apartment, but like a, I rent it and B it's just not really like a winter wonderland space that I would like recreate. And I think that my motivation's low. I think the other piece of that too, and I'm answering this because Several people asked me about flat Christmas trees, and then I just noticed one person said, why are people like haters, the people that decorate for Christmas early? Um, and somebody else asked me about excess Christmas decor. Uh, so all kind of related, but uh, I, I love Christmas decor. I don't fault it. I think I only get frustrated when I see it in stores because I think it, uh, for a lot of people, it represents the passage of time and the end of a year, and the passage of time isn't pleasant for everybody. Um you know, for different reasons at different points in their life. The holidays also aren't easy for everybody that depending on your family life, personal situation, they can perhaps be the worst time of the year. And I think a lot of people forget that too. Um, but if you're in a position where you have a home and the disposable income and the time or kids that want to take decorations, you want to make it magical, like that's awesome. Go for it. I can see myself spending a lot more time and investment on decorations too, in that sense. Uh, but I also think that the age I am and many of the people I follow um, or am friends with, rather, uh, in real life, we go like somewhere else for Christmas. So like I don't need like over decorate my home because I don't spend Christmas here, even though I like the seasonal buildup and I have a tree and stuff. Um, I think to me, the flock, tree it's like you, you can throw a regular old Christmas tree anywhere and it'll spruce up the place. You can I mean, here you can decorate a. A tiny closet sized studio. Like, I don't care. I'm not saying you need to have a grand place to decorate it well, but I am saying the the kind of energy of a flocked tree brings to your home is this like Chronicles of Narnia, like Snow Queen, Winter Wonderland, Sleigh Bells Ring, Are You Listening? Uh, I just feel like it, 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 a flocked tree doesn't thrive standalone. A flocked tree needs. Uh, context and environment that like matches its grand vibe but also it almost needs to be met with uh more white scape outdoorsy snowy looking 
context, an indoor unflocked tree can kind of blend in a way that a flocked tree, I just do not think can. But beyond that, again, the crumbly, the dandruff of it all, I just think they are so messy. And I think they're really beautiful um, in many contexts, but it's just not something I myself am going to have. Uh, And I think people see I think these bloggers, like, again, this is part of their job. This, their life is content. So you can't spend hours and hours of your week away from your job and family to decorate your house like crazy, but they can because A, they probably write it off and B, they are going to get more money from producing more content. So then that becomes a standard for which other people hold their decorations to. And it's just not uh, realistic. And if all the things we compare ourselves to and should feel bad about in this world, let us not uh, compare or feel inadequate for our, the way we choose to celebrate something that's otherwise joyous, homey, cozy, and uh, uh, and depending on circumstances can be quite a lovely time of the year that we should all enjoy the best way we know how. I, I love decorations and I love cozy environments and I live to reap the benefits of a mega decorator. And I honestly hope to be one someday. Um, I, I see that uh, as like kind of an expression of what I could do because I love to decorate. Like I, I don't decorate for holidays, but I love like interior design and decor and like we move a lot. And I just have, I don't know, I've, I've, I have fun making a place look and feel um, special in a way that I don't have fun like cooking. Um, so I'm here for the decorating. I just think it's important to remember, like everything, when something's content, other people that are supposed to be just like you aren't like you at all because their job is spending an excessive amount of effort on very everyday things that leave you feeling inadequate. Uh, but you know, I don't hate it. I kind of hate when like Turtle Creek Lane, literally there's like, it's just kind of, you know, if nothing ever, there's not, there's just, it's all sunshine rainbows and candy land, but also no candy. And also like the sheer, like, evil to me that is sending your daughter to Disney World in a pandemic as a reward for not eating refined sugar or carbs for years like the most disgusting thing to project onto a child that is going to give such her such complicated uh feelings toward food and I just I've I've no words at that I just found so deeply upsetting uh so yeah I guess maybe TCL would be the one exception where I'm all like okay it's it's a little bit too much decor all the time. It's losing its 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 luster. Ooh, fun pasta. <laughs> the best and worst pasta dishes. Okay, I'm gonna try to get through these quicker now. Um, uh, I mean, I live for, I I live for a, a well made carbonara. Um, I I do love like a white sauce. I I would pick a white sauce over a meat sauce, not like an Alfredo, like a cheese ball one, but like a really well made from scratch um, white sauce or, or butter sauce or cheese based sauce. Uh, but I, I actually, I like live for like a carbone style vodka sauce, especially a, like, you know, whether it's penne alla vodka or rigatoni alla vodka with like a spicy sausage vodka sauce is like the best. I love, uh, um, arbiata sauce, like a spicier red sauce more than like a bolognese. Uh, I'm not like a big spaghetti and meatball person. I'm not a big like lasagna person. Um, I, I'll, I'll like sometimes dabble on a pesto, but generally speaking, I like just really well-made, uh, basics when it comes to sauces, ideally from scratch. And ideally if you're 
you're roasting some of the tomatoes yourself beforehand. Oh my God. And roasting the garlic and having like that spreadable smushy garlic on bread. Oh, the best. Um, shapes wise, I, I like, I love a bucatini, the thicker spaghetti with a hole in the middle. I mean, my preferences kind of change based on sauce and context. Well, generally speaking, first of all, I'm not a huge tortellini ravioli person or even like a manicotti or stuffed shells. Like I like it sometimes, but, um, again, I, I, I like, I'd rather keep it simple. I find there's a, a cheesiness, a, a, a juvenile nature to a fusilli that's very, you know, Taylor Swift, uh, fearless era. I kind of feel like in Italy, like they, it's, they're typically not, uh, the, the shapes are less of a thing. Like there's a lot of orichetti in Italy. I feel like in the, it's much less prevalent here. And sure. There's a lot of like spaghetti and stuff, but more so than the fettuccine linguinis. It's, or it's more of a, a papera deli, tagliatelle, vermicelli type of situation. God willing, there's a bucatini. I know I'm saying the Americanized, like, I'm, you know, if I were good at this, like uh, Giada, I'd be like ricotta, but you know, whatever. I'm, <laughs> We're, we're just tuna, tuna, nothing to see here, nothing to think about, no stress election day. Uh, <laughs> breezy podcast. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I tend to like the um, longer noodles, though I do pr- appreciate a um, an interior hollowness like that of a Twizzler, you know. I, I like to drink a Dr. Pepper out of a Twizzler, bite off either end, you can suck it through the middle, at least in the olden days. You used to have had trouble getting through the center of Twizzlers more recently, but um, I like how, you know, sauce goes inside of a Bucatini or a Penne, obviously. Uh, but I can uh, appreciate the, the slicked nature and sauce collection of a spaghetti or a Capellini all the same. I think fettuccine just reminds me too much of like like Olive Garden-y. I mean, no offense to Olive Garden. Love a salad, love a breadstick. But uh, it's like fettuccine Alfredo type of Americanized Italian dishes that I'm not super into. You you really just don't see enough um, wagon wheel uh, pasta in Italy, but not going to lie. I do not hate a wagon wheel pasta. I, I, I used to love pouring zesty Italian dressing on a wagon wheel pasta once I figured out how to boil water. Uh, and I'm a huge fan. The bow ties uh, are fine, but I actually think they are a bit weird for sauce collection. Lastly, I will say if I'm going to eat mac and cheese from the box, I need it to be radioactive colored. I do not need anything organic, and I do require that uh, it is shaped like something other than elbows. I think that if you're going to eat a box of like full-on kids mac and cheese uh, neon orange, and they aren't, you know, like shaped like SpongeBob or something. Like, what are you doing? What's the point? Sure, it's fun to put an elbow on each fork prong, but it's so satisfying to eat shaped macaroni and cheese in a way that I frankly can't explain. I just always, always buy the shapes. I'm hungry for some now. I used to like Velveeta shells and cheese, but a similar thing happened that recently happened with Panera, uh, Panera's mac and cheese, which I know everybody else but me thinks it's gross because they like make it in a trash bin. Um, there's a way that uh, super creamy mac and cheese uh, in in overproduction. I think it's this almost chemically aftertaste that I can't overlook. And it's been upsetting because I haven't been able to eat Velveeta shells and cheese in years. And I just bought like a fr- refrigerated version of Panera's and it had the exact same thing. I was so upset. I actually, I think California, California Pizza Kitchen has really underrated mac and cheese off the kids menu if anybody was interested. This person said rampant vocal fry on celebrities and t- podcasters, not you. 
Um, I think I do have this to a degree. I think that would be, I, I just don't think what people do with their voices is as deliberate as people think they are. And your voice is so much less intentional than people think it is. And people are super harsh on women's voices that I just try to not comment. And, and I think also maybe I'm so used to watching the type of media where women do have, you know, their, their sentences go up at the end and like question form or they have vocal fry or higher pitch voices. Or I say like all the time and I drive myself crazy, but it's uh, a way that I process thoughts out loud. Um, and sometimes I feel more clear than others. And I think there are elements of speech that especially if it's a, your job, you need to take seriously and work and exercise some discipline. But I actually in general would say, you know, people need to go easier, especially on women's voices. If you think they haven't heard it, they've heard it. I hear it. It's truly, it's, it's one of those tough things that is deeply insulting if your job requires you to talk and your like main tool to execute your job people are saying is uh, faulty it's and really makes you overthink yourself and I don't know while I hate 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 the kind of monotone baby voice that the Kardashians kind of force on themselves uh that just makes you dead in the eyes and have no personality I think that I don't know. I, I just don't know why people hate vocal fry. It just it's not something I really pay attention to or notice. <laughs> the secret sleepover that would happen after a party that only some people were invited to. I'm so triggered by that. <laughs> There's nothing worse than wondering if a secret sleepover is going on. <laughs> um, the trend of TikTokers rolling up their pants to signal they are bi. Is that a thing? Uh is like the one earring thing or whatever that's interesting or like a thumb ring maybe um i've not seen that or noticed that i maybe just thought they had rolled pants i have really long legs and my pants are never long enough anyway uh but also i just feel like gen zers are pretty forthcoming about their sexuality so i don't know that i thought to look into the signs i mean when i was you know back in my day we didn't roll our pants to convey our sexuality we just rolled up our Sophie's shorts like 12 times to convey that, you know, we might be slutty if given the choice, but, you know, no one's taking the bait. <laughs> Truly, we used to, I mean, we had like school strict rules in middle school about how many times you can roll your shorts. It was such a thing to think about the low rise and rolled with those like, oh my God, oh my God, wine and paint glasses. I, I frequented a paint and sip. I love to hit, like hint drop a hobby that I know I won't be that bad at. Example, paint and sip. Example, escape room. Example, pub trivia night. Not an example. Bowling. Not an example. Anything really athletic. Paint and sips were hilarious because the paintings were ugly. They like always use these insane primary colors and were like a remake of a Monet or a Van Gogh or something random. And then you'd like take it home and hang it up. But like now everyone's home instead of like buying art in the 2010s, everyone just has some like low rent version of Starry Night and a city skyline and probably like two pots of flowers. And they're all hideous. <laughs> I just guys, I think it's time we move on from paint and sips. Not the you know, the businesses can thrive. You know, what color me mine has been thriving for years. I do prefer to paint a canvas to pottery and I do prefer to get drunk anytime I'm doing a group craft. So I, I have no complaints there. I just think that 
as artwork in the home, it's tough stuff. And you almost have to like obligation, hang it like a child's artwork. (laughs) Um, and you know, maybe save it for the future. If you ever have a basement, because my God, we all know the goal is may your, the Irish blessing I live by is may your, uh, living room furniture of today be your throwaway basement furniture of tomorrow. You know what I mean? I just hope that everything I semi am attached to or spent money on at some time, I can just toss on downstairs in a carpeted finished basement that hopefully my husband gets a bit bored as a midlife crisis turns it into a proper bar pool table foosball sitch where maybe even makes over that creepy back room with the paint buckets the stray wicker baskets the you know old standing oscillating fans uh maybe some spray paint cans lying around so you know maybe some boxes of of books and also whatever machinery was acquired during, you know, his re- brief stint in wood shop. Maybe he makes all that over into my craft room or gift wrapping station. That's something suburban moms have that I'm like, huh? You give people gifts? <laughs> I, I literally had to give someone a gift the other day. I give people gifts, but I kind of just buy them as I need them. And I didn't have a singular gift bag in the home. And I was like, I'm awful, but I'll write you a sonnet. I just don't know, like, I don't like to get people stuff just to get people stuff. And I think maybe, too, it's because I feel a bit burdened by stuff once I get it because I'm sentimental. So if you give me something, I will hold on to it. But, I mean, I like anything, like, thoughtful and homemade and, like, specific. I just mean, you know, when people give gifts just to, like, give an object to somebody. It's not my not my fave. Why am I talking about this? Things you didn't know you needed off Amazon, girls. Are you talking about that Rachel girl from TikTok? And her husband just pops in the beginning of every video. It makes me laugh. She's making bank. I think I, I honestly, so I think that I ended up making, I want to say like $800 in commission off of you guys buying Veet, which I did not see coming when I told you guys that I use it for, uh, like as an alternative to waxing for a bikini line when we couldn't wax during COVID, I like got an Amazon gift card and commission. I was like, what happened? Uh, that's, but I spent that on, uh, clearing the lists and then something else happened recently that I said in passing, I don't know. I got like a hundred bucks or something. I got myself a new nightstand. Thanks to all of you. I, I don't, I don't make like income that I really bank meaningfully off of Amazon. I mean, it makes sense to collect affiliate income. Like why the hell not? But I think that, uh, I think, I mean, I maybe link something, uh, consistently like two, three times a month and can at least, you know, probably now make like 500 to a thousand bucks linking a couple things here and there. If enough people buy them, think about these women like that have um, over a million followers on TikTok recommending stuff all the time. Like they are making so much freaking money. I can't even imagine. I bet, I mean, I'm sure Tybal makes so much money off of, uh, affiliate links, like she doesn't do ads or take free product, but she collects uh, affiliate income. Oh my God. This person said, God telling Jordan Page she needs a bigger house. Current is 8,500 square feet. Did, did that serious? Did that really happen? I'm like, uh, not on. I, 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 the past couple months have been re- very much out of the loop with a lot of influencers and Facebook and like reading forums and stuff. Cause I don't know. Some days it's just hard to manage my own life much less creep on other people's uh in a detailed enough way where I know what they're up to so I kind of just will go through like themed weeks where I'm really into people Jordan Page I had a minute last year where I was just like what um when she was pregnant with twins 
uh, her and Bubba's life is so confusing to me. And she's one of those women that's like obsessed with like meal planning organization. She has all these organization guides and it's, that's the sort of mom energy that upsets me because I, it's like people's lives that are so incredibly unmanageably hectic that they have to rely on such extreme external like regiments to even survive to keep their head above water that that's the lack of spontaneity that makes me feel dark uh i and that's a lack of flexibility i see in friends once they have kids that i'm like seriously but also i know that i can't possibly understand it's just like um, yeah it's kind of fascinating how it's like staying on schedule is the priority understandably for everybody's like mood stability sleep schedule, school, whatever. But I guess there's something that just bums me out about life of feeling incapable of going off schedule or of not the thought of people not having the resilience to be able to do that sometimes, you know? And and again, I, I know I'm speaking out of turn. And I know I don't understand, but again, just things that give me anxiety. Um, yeah, no, God didn't tell her she needs a bigger house. She wants a bigger house and probably wants nicer things. And she's just telling you, God told her that. So she doesn't seem super official. Uh, but honestly, she could just be like, I have a lot of kids and I'd be like, that's cool. Get a bigger house. I don't care. I, I don't care how, how people live or spend their money, but I care when they make themselves be, seem like special or unique or God speaks to them or they're blessed. And for some you know reason that other people aren't and, it's just like if you really logically think that you're like special and chosen and God cares about material items, like people there like there's people that are dying, Kim. Like God does not care about your Ford Escape. Like I just there's so much going on in the world and it's it, it, sometimes I'm like, do people hear themselves say out loud that they're blessed or God talked to them or God did this, that or the other? Do you like honestly hear yourself being like, I'm special, like I'm chosen, I'm unique, I get something you guys don't. It's actually, I think, so much less rude to say, to suggest cause and effect than to attribute something cosmic to your fortune, because then it just makes life seem straight up unfair. Um, I think we're so worried about seeming greedy and wanting for more that there's too much materialism intertwined with the Lord and it dilutes its meaning when you actually mean it. If somebody in your family is like cured of illness, if you know, you, uh, you're able to have your baby safely. If you, if your, your marriage is able to survive a rocky period, like, just, like, I don't care, like meaningful things with the relationships and people like, yeah, I absolutely, I think faith and, um, uh, you know, believing in something get you through, the hardest of times, but I just feel like God just not didn't put it on your heart to like build out a veranda with a fire pit to indulge in his creation. Like, come on. My point isn't that you shouldn't like believe in your intuition or whatever speaking through you. I just think that it's in just fundamentally interesting that my argument is that I wonder if people um, if we all feel similar things and some, it's kind of like how some people allegedly, I didn't really understand this article, but I read it and then my head started to hurt. So I had to stop. Some people think in like images and memories. Some people think in like words and audio, everyone thinks differently. And I think everyone's intuition comes at them differently. It's kind of like an anxiety manifesting in different ways. Like the contents of your mind absolutely does have the physical manifestation. And, um, I think that people feel, 
different things and people probably feel their gut and their intuition and their anxiety and whatever in all different ways. And sometimes I wonder if one person's gut instinct is the other person's God talking to you. Like, how do you distinguish what is, um, you know, kind of what we would argue is your standard intuition and gut versus what is like cosmic and celestial or divine. Sometimes I wonder if they're all a little bit similar and just look a little different for everybody. And depending on what you subscribe to is to what you attribute it to. And again, not to undermine anybody's uh, miracles or blessings, rather to encourage that. I think we all have that spiritual connection in some way. Um, Cause I definitely experienced like very weird coincidences and signs and all that stuff. And I like to think that I live in a world where I don't understand everything. Why would I want to? Um, but I feel like a lot of the, the constructs of organized religion that um, humans like to talk about, especially in the way bloggers conspicuously consume for Christ. Um, it's just super tone deaf and surprising to me. Uh, but not surprising and welcome all the same because I enjoy watching it. Uh, where would my dream second home be? Um, it would be honestly probably cold weather. I have a more mountain gal than a beach. I love a lake. I love foliage. Uh, I think my favorite place in the U.S. I've ever been is in Montana, honestly. Like, I'm not outdoorsy, but I love like a forest winter wonderland. I don't want to hike in it, but I want to be in it. Um, I like inclement weather. Uh, I just feel much more myself in a coat. So, yeah, it would probably be somewhere beautiful, cabiny, winter wonderland where I could take everyone for the holidays or like, yeah, a lake house. Um, not for boating, not for swimming. God, no, just to look at it. <laughs> Air control in the apartment with roommates who wins hot, cold or hot. Oh, my God. Cold winds. Um, you can fix being cold. You can't fix being hot. I cannot be I cannot handle uh, people that like a hot house. I, I, I mean, at the very least, I can't sleep unless the room is 69 degrees or lower. I need to be chilly. I need to be snug as a bug in a rug. I cannot sleep if I am not borderline buried in, in blankets. And uh, my sleeping environment is so, so particular. And for people that are like temperature uh, control freaks, um, I understand that you like being warm, but just get more blankets. Uh, being hot is so intrusive and, uh, uncomfortable and it, it makes your sheets dirtier cause you sweat and it's gross and just not as fixable. And I don't want to blow a fan in my room because I wake up and my like nose and mouth are too dry. And I just think that cold people need to realize that, you know, they can put on some socks. It's just not a big deal. Uh, and I'd also urge people to consider who is does and doesn't, you know, if you're friends and you want to consider these things, consider who is up the latest or like has trouble sleeping because I feel like there's a correlation between people that tend to get cold a lot and they have like planners and they follow, you know, are really good about like food planning and probably go to bed early and like need eight hours. And I feel like there's the correlation and people that, um, like things warm are often like a little bit more type a high strung. I don't know if that's accurate, but in my experience it has been. And therefore they also will not let go of like the thermostat vibes. Uh, but it's like, if you have an easy time falling asleep, get some blankets and pass out. The rest of us will roll around in our anxiety for five hours in the heat. And it's just generally unpleasant. So at the very least, can I have a 
you know, just give me a couple degrees. So when you see what happened to the ghost story podcast, I actually did not, that, I did not get enough emails about that. I think a lot of people do ghost story type podcasts. So I wanted to see if I could get like, I, whenever I crowdsource, if I don't end up doing it, it means I didn't get enough examples or enough variety. And like one time I read through what I called like the lost episodes on Patreon, um, crowdsource stuff I never did. And I'm actually compi- compiling another lost episodes of crowdsource stories I didn't read because the topic didn't have a strong enough like um, singular uh, narrative for an episode. But I also will collect stuff and sit on it for a while and use it when I need to. It's, it's never uh, lost on me. I'm laughing because so many people have said best fast food nuggets, best dipping sauces. Uh, like, guys, see, see March, an episode called the Aeoli Spirit. It is a full a dip, di- dip, deep dive into dips. What is going to be the tie-dye set of winter? It's a good question. I, I'm going to guess tie-dye is going to be on its way out. I think we're just going to be doing huge, huge sweatshirts, like double XL hoodies and leggings or ripped jeans or whatever. Gen Z does does, does not need a tight pant the way I do. Uh, they now think yoga pants. They're like, oh, look at these flared leggings. It's just like, oh, my God, face palm. I do not love flared yoga pants and not excited about their return. Gen Z's doing a lot of things with the khakis of it all that are just simply unacceptable. But I grew up in a time where natural beauty was not heralded. I, I, I formed my entire face and lifestyle around just trying to be the common trope of a hot girl. Like in my era, it was like you're trying to look like Bridget Marquardt from the girls next door, not even Holly Madison or Kendra Bridget, like the cheesiest one of them all. I just feel like there, there was this, uh, being blonde, it was easy to fall into this like cheese ball of like, um, you know, TV, what the TV tells you is like the token hot girl. And then you like shave off your eyebrows, put on some sun in, you know, give yourself a side part, learn how to wand your hair. And all of a sudden you're a walking cliche. And I've been trying to undo it every day of my life. Like, I have so many more to get through. I didn't see Addison Rae and Bryce Hall. She can do so much. Like, she could really like be dating anyone she wants probably right now. She's just like beautiful and sprightly and young. And I don't get the wasting time on Bryce Hall. But my argument is also that like Bryce and Chase Hudson and these dudes were famous before Charlie and Addison and the gang were famous. So it's kind of like how I might idolize somebody that I grew up watching on TV, even if like I'm theoretically a better catch than they are, I'd still just be like so fascinated to be around them. I mean, for the love of God, I saw Doyle from Gilmore Girls on the subway. You think I saw Brad Pitt? I was like, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh my God, it's you. (laughs) Doyle of Doyle and Bears. (laughs) All right, you guys, I'm going to head out finally. There are so many interesting ones I could have kept going, but I'll just keep this extra long. You guys are awesome. I hope you're hanging in there. I hope you're, um, you know, able to zone out and do something else now that this is done. You can always go to my Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash be there in five. I just did an episode where I talked about my like dating history and relationships and how I met my husband. And I don't know, sometimes like behind a paywall, that stuff feels like it'll land better. I don't know how many strangers on the internet are that interested in my personal life so much as my opinions on random topics, but you can check that out there. We also had a career night uh, at the PowerPoint on Sunday that should be up on Patreon, the recording by now. But beyond that, I don't want to burden you. But if you like this podcast, rate and review five stars, tell a friend. It makes a huge difference. Uh, holidays could be a tough time for a dip in podcasts. And, uh, and then I panic about keeping people's interest. So 
you know, any ankle boots on the ground will do. <laughs> Advocating for the pod. Uh, share on an Instagram story, rate, review five stars, whatever you're comfortable with. I'm just grateful to have you, but more so than any accolades or burden I need to put on you. I would just be so, so grateful if you'd uh, come back another time and tune into the podcast. I really love doing this. I take great pride in being able to be somewhat of an escapist medium, however effectively it's executed or not. Uh, I think everything is interesting. I genuinely want people to lean into their curiosity and information gathering. And um, I think it's so easy to trivialize anyone's interest, really, but women's especially get unfairly trivialized in the face of you know, such esteemed hobbies, like, I don't know, playing golf or fantasy football. I don't know what like men do, but I live for these mindful chats about mindless topics. Uh, and thank you for everybody who submitted, uh, different things to snorkel through. Just a reminder, if you do want to see a stop motion video of the American girl dolls doing the WAP dance, you can go to my Instagram at be there in five. Uh, that's how I channel my nervous energy apparently. And also it's a promo for my virtual live podcast, which is next week, Thursday, November 12th, 9.05 Eastern PM. And uh, next week, wait, actually, so next week we'll have the interview with Carmen and then, and then also the, so it'll be like kind of a bonus under the influencer episode and then the live podcast on Thursday, which I know, know this is normally free, but uh, I had to cancel my entire like tour this year. That was supposed to be a source of income. So this one virtual show is all I have. <laughs> and I just need to like get out there and try new material. And I think it's fun because it's it's different from regular podcast content. I can bring things to life visually a bit better. So yeah, it's called Certain Times. It's a celebration of all things precedented. I'm so tired of uh, everything being without precedent. I just want something that is uh, predictable. And I've already experienced it. It's like people with anxiety watch the same movies and shows over and over. That's kind of like what I want to do is reminisce about stuff we've uh, already heard, but maybe not analyzed in this type of way. There is one particularly engaging true crime story uncovered from a uh, one of Kelly's childhood journals uh, that is particularly engaging that I've held out for. Um, <laughs> anyway, you guys, love you so much. I will hopefully see you next week uh, on location.com slash be there in five for the live show tickets. It's also in the show notes. Um, I'll also put a link to the Jeopardy CSV. Uh, and as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. 